0: we can make a difference.
1: Oh, hi. Welcome to the Verbal Diorama Time Machine. It's now 2020, but I know you're missing 2019. Not sure why, but I think you are. So let's go, bleep, bloop bleep, bloop and visit Neo Tokyo 2019. And while we're there, let's find some special guests. Are you ready? Let's go. Bleep, 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 bleep.
0: In a world we're We need a hero. Someone to separate the bad from the good.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to Verbal Diorama and um, this is a very special episode, Um, to be honest I'm not sure what number episode this is because I haven't numbered the episodes going into January but this is a special episode because I'm actually recording this at the end of November and this is going to be the only episode that's been kind of recorded previously that I'm going to actually then sort of put out in the future. And it's a very special episode because I'm actually recording this in Peterborough and I'm recording this with my special guests, which is the first time that I've actually recorded live with special guests. So it's really exciting for me because... This is the first time I've not had to utilise Skype in any way, shape or form. We are live, we're currently at a place called Sam's in Peterborough, so thank you very much to Sam's in Peterborough for letting us have this wonderful space to record. There's a little bit of background noise, but it'll be cool. Um, so, I mean, I guess the first thing that I need to do is um, welcome to my guests. Uh, we have Anita and Kira from The Unexceptionals. Hi guys, you're welcome.
2: Oh, hey. Oh, wow. hi. Oh, it's hey. so nice to be here in Sam's, Peterborough. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> that complete change of tone. <laughs> oh, my God, it's so much fun to be here in Sam's in Peterborough.
1: For all of your coffee slash drinks um, slash podcasting needs yeah no thank you so much for having us on your show yeah, yeah. no thank
2: you very much oh I'm excited it's, it's
1: so cool because we've actually had like a really cool day like
2: it's been lush
1: we've, we've been like just like hanging out yeah. and having a laugh we've just been like watching baby got back videos with <laughs> the um, <Yes. laughs> with an orchestra Peter we've been dancing yep. we've been singing Annie Lennox oh. I mean it's it's actually been a lot of fun um yeah. so we are pretty pumped up we've got We've got cake yep. in Yes. We've oh, yep. got hot drinks. Uh, we were going to have shots, but we decided against <laughs> yeah.
2: it. The staff here, who were very lovely at Sam's, Peterborough, they were, like, well up for us getting shots. And I was like, okay, let's baby. I was
3: <laughs> like, are you sure you don't want a shot in your tea? Well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kahlua. Kahlua and tea would be lush. Kahlua? <laughs> <laughs> Kahlua. Coffee yeah. syrup. Yeah. It'd, It'd probably be better in tea. coffee, though, yeah, surely. I but, like, you'd make it even more, it's like... Gross. Double... <laughs> wretched. Um, no, 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 it would be like extra like creamy and cocky.
3: Yeah. I guess
2: so. Okay. Yeah, might have to try that. Find it, Sam's Pizza And Anita said, I might have to try that like dead behind the eyes. <laughs> yeah, I might have to try that, sounds great. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, she's like it. moving swiftly on. You <laughs> did not see it? That's
1: fine. So, as you probably guessed, from the title of this episode, uh, we're going to be talking about the absolute animated classic, Akira. Um, or Akira, depending on however you want to say it. They're well, probably going to say it all the ways. No, so. I'm
2: Akira. <laughs> <laughs> do you know,
1: this is a really interesting thing, because I gave uh, Anita and Kira a list, and I basically said, well, oh, you know, guys, choose whatever you want. And we had a couple of discussions back and forth, and Akira was chosen. And then I kind of said, because it was Anita who messaged me and said, oh, we want to do Akira. And I was like, "What?" Well, your name's like, like a portmanteau-like like, Anita, Anita and Kira is like oh, a portmanteau yeah. of Akira. I was like, amazing. is that the reason? I
3: never even realized and, that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it was like. Could wow, it this is like destiny,
2: destiny. Yeah.
3: <laughs> there's a lot of other destiny bits that are going to come up when we start talking about Akira yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah so so
1: yeah like if you take Anita and Kira and you mush them together not that I'm recommending that anyone does that by <laughs> the way because that sounds a us. bit violent <laughs> yeah. but if you did you would make Akira <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's, 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 what a transition and now the film <laughs> Akira. You know,
1: I know I know uh, Sam's Peterborough uh, <laughs> Um, So yeah, this episode's probably going to be a little bit different. Um, There's probably going to be some um, slight kind of post-productional differences where I've kind of got to go off and maybe add some stuff in on post-production maybe, some additional bits and pieces, for example, what I've been up to. Because to be honest, this episode's coming out in January. I don't have a clue what I'm going to be up to in January. Um, So there might be a bit of a a difference in uh, the recording. But, um, but but to, to be so fair, we're, we're having a great time with yeah. our cake and our potentially uh, alcohol-laced tea <laughs> and coffee. We're <laughs> still not sure. Um, so, um, so yeah, I don't know what I've been up to. I'm, I may add that in later. Who knows? I may not. Um, but um, so what I would normally do is I'd normally obviously introduce my guests, which I've done so, um, and I'd also kind of normally ask them, like, what, what they've been up to. But... You know, obviously, Anita and Kira have to look into the future in like January and go, what are we up to in January? It's a skill I'm working on, but I haven't <laughs> yeah. quite mastered it. You know, using the brain. I mean, obviously, the movie Akira, uh, there they, they, they are very latent sort of telekinetic powers that we're talking about, so maybe we are more powerful than we think. But um, So what I thought I'd do is sort of talk to Anita and Kira Obviously about Unexceptionals because I wanted to obviously just kind of have a little bit of a chat with them about that. But I was basically quite curious because obviously with you guys you do seasons of mm-hmm. your podcast. So you've done season one sort yep. of obviously this is going out in January twenty twenty. So last year you did season one of yeah. Unexceptionals, mm-hmm. and and obviously this year, as in twenty twenty, you're going to be doing another season. Yeah. Um. And I guess why why the choice to do seasons rather than continuous shows? Like, is there a reason for that?
2: Uh, from my side it was um, just easier because we uh, interview everyday people it's easier these people are so we interview like NHS workers mums students um, insurance workers so they have quite unpredictable schedules some of them Mm -hmm. so it's easier to just record a bank of them and then release them gradually over time so we have the time to you know Get them in, interview them. Mm -hmm. And also because there's nothing, I'd say, like time specific about the interview. They're quite um, universal and timeless. So it's just kind of easier to release them in one go. I don't know if
3: that's. Also, I think as well, like on top of doing our podcast, we both have um, other skills and other. Challenge? God, I hate using the word <laughs> other talent. Big yourself up, girl. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, but there's other things that we do. So Kira, for example, she does stand-up, and summertime is a particularly busy time for for her. I'd say, you know, we've got things like Edinburgh Fringe, that it's like a whole month out of August completely that she's going to be really busy, and during that there's obviously loads of gigs that she's doing. You know, and I'm, I'm working on some of my own skills with drama and illustrating. So it just ended up work. We had to figure out a schedule that we would work with us mm-hmm. and that we could honestly keep up with there was no point in saying yeah we'll do release an episode every single week for the whole year because yeah. in reality the reality is we wouldn't be able to keep up mm, with that yeah. So we just had to like set very clear honest kind of schedule that would work with us and that we know we deliver really good like stuff and yeah. hopefully
1: we do deliver good stuff <laughs> they do deliver good stuff <laughs> 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 um Okay, well, in that case then, um, I'm just going to kind of jump straight in because I do like to just kind of ask questions of mm. people coming on the show and stuff like that, just so that anyone who listens to Bubble Diorama um, obviously can come and listen to like, what you guys do. Um, but so with The Unexceptionals, how did, that, how did the idea of a podcast kind of come about? Like, how did you, did you kind of just sort of, to yourselves, people are really interesting. Let's talk about them. <laughs> Literally, yeah, yeah. But I think it
3: was like we we're both going through like a weird time with like jobs and um and things like that. So we we're I think, feeling particularly insecure. And when we were on social media and stuff, we'd come across like on our feeds these influencers, these. Um, people that you couldn't necessarily relate to because they they felt like they were almost unattainable, like they were celebrities or they were influencers, and you had no relatability to them. And they were sharing all these cool things that they were doing in your life, and like I was feeling bad about myself when I was seeing this, and I was like, wait, there's so many people who are like me who are doing really cool things. Like, Why am I not hearing their stories? Because everyone has a story to tell. I'm just seeing these stories of people who I can't relate to in any way. And then we got chatting about... Uh, about that idea and like what it's like being on social media. And we thought, well, why don't we like make a podcast that maybe shares those everyday people's stories so that on their feed people are seeing stories from people who are like them.
2: Yeah. 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 Po- like, I feel like at the time, it felt like imposter syndrome, particularly with social media, was quite a big topic as well. Because I remember reading, it was an interview with a journalist, and they'd said that as a journalist who writes articles... About this kind of thing, they said she still is affected by it as everyone else. You know, somebody who is really good at makeup, and then but then they watch someone on YouTube who has this expensive kit, you know, doing demonstrations, and think I'll never be able to do that. She said she watched um, a someone she knew um, just as a result of being a journalist win like. The Got get nominated for a Pulitzer Prize or something and she said she but she saw it on Instagram and she said she felt like she was being glued to her seat like just out of you know that sinking feeling of mm-hmm. that's not me and mm-hmm. I feel like everybody feels that way mm-hmm. whether it's you know your respective uh, profession something you'd like to do and it just felt like as a result of this kind of glossy, you do get the kind of edited footage of someone's life on yeah. social media, yeah. and it would just be nice to have a podcast where you talk to everyday people who are really interesting. Everybody's interesting. It's like when you go to the pub and you get chatting to someone you don't know, and like, yeah. they have a really interesting story to tell, whether that's about something their mum said to them or what they did with their day. Yeah. It would just be nice to hear that, because I feel like that's a bit less intimidating, mm-hmm. but just as interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That's pretty much it, though. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I I genuinely find your podcast really fascinating because of that reason. Because there are so many celebrity podcasts nowadays.
2: So many. Gemma Collins. Like,
1: <laughs> and I mean, it's celebrity. <laughs> God, so much shade, you guys.
2: <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, and 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 that's great. Like in a way, it is really good because it's opening up podcasting to people who might, you know. Gemma Collins fans who might mm. not even know what podcasting is that's now they true. know what podcasting yeah. is mm. and by extension they might listen to her podcast and think well what else is out there Yeah, mm. um, that's true. But, but I think it's very much a double edged sword mm. because all of these celebrities are kind of coming into podcasting mm. now but it's like what about the little guy what about you know the everyday people mm-hmm. who are literally just you know, working really hard, trying to make ends meet, you know, doing really good jobs, but mm. then not Gemma Collins. Like, yeah, You know, yeah, what, exactly. what about those guys? And mm. I think it is really interesting because you just get so much interesting information, you know, mm. that you, you just wouldn't... Because I think you see someone and, and you just see, like, a person, but yeah. you don't see, like, their feelings, their emotions, their struggles, you yeah. know, what, what they had to go through to get that particular job mm-hmm. or... So it's, I find it completely fascinating listening to your podcast. I really do. So, um, So obviously, well, we can like, proper like, plug you guys at the end because obviously oh, I want to do that. But, um, but obviously um, we are here to talk about Akira. And to be honest, I, I will be completely honest um, in that I did not have a, a, a massive time, amount of time to prep for this episode. So I have some notes. I might have to add some additional stuff in post because I have just realised I haven't written down a plot summary. <laughs> oh my god! Brilliant. Oh my god! So um, I have found me- one. I've got the plot summary open in front of, of me. As well do you as want well. it? Do you want to read it? Do you want to read the plot summary? Yeah,
3: I mean,
2: is it's, it a long one? It's though? the long
1: one, though. It's.
3: What, I've got a synopsis that yeah. I got from.
2: Because I have it open to the names. I knew I was going to struggle yeah. with, so I was like, "Get this I mean, open." it's all right.
1: I've got one. It's all right. I'll it <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> we have uh, so we've got a little a little summary for uh, Akira. So, in 1988, the Japanese government drops an atomic bomb on Tokyo after ESP experiments on children go awry. In 2019, coincidentally the year that we're recording this, uh, 31 years after the new king of the city, Canada, a bike gang leader, tries to save his friend Tetsuo from a secret government project. He battles anti government activists, greedy politicians, irresponsible scientists, and a powerful military leader until Tetsuo's supernatural powers suddenly manifest. A final battle is fought in a Tokyo Olympiad exposing the experiment's secrets. Ooh. Ooh. Normally I go through the cast. Um, It's interesting to point out with this movie that there were actually three casts. Mm -hmm. Um, So you had the original Japanese cast, you had the cast for the 1989 English dub, and you had the cast for the 2001 English dub. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think we'd probably take a bit too long kind of going through all of the casts and everything like that. But... Character-wise, I mean, you've, you've basically got uh, a certain amount of main characters. So you have uh, you have Canada, you have... Ca- Canada? Yeah, that's right. Canada uh, just sounds like the country. Uh, <laughs> Tetsuo, and then you have K Colonel Shikishima. And then you have um, a certain amount of test subjects uh, who are numbered and named. So Akira is number 28. Uh, Kyoko, number 25. Takashi number 26 and Masaru 27. Um, and those test subjects are especially important to the plot of the movie. So um, the movie itself uh, were, it basically was came from the original manga. The manga was written by Katsuhira Otomo, um, and he actually ended up writing and directing the movie as well. Um, there's a writing credit on the movie as well for Izo Hashimoto. Um, so Normally, at this point, I would go through the production history of Akira. Um, But, (laughs) I don't have it. So, what I'm going to do is, because with this movie specifically, normally, as verbal diorama, I like to talk about the history and the legacy of the movie. Um, But I think when we're talking about Akira, it's the legacy that is the most important thing. Because this movie is kind of so integral to... To basically not only Japanese anime in general uh, because it was really the the West's first introduction to anime um, sort of outside of, of Studio Ghibli at the time um, but um, just generally um, in its sort of scope and cinematic style um, I mean this is this is an incredible looking movie um, for 1988 um, it's landmark animation it's the sort of animation that well you you kind of wouldn't get nowadays because Obviously, hand-drawn animation is, yeah. is a dying art. dying but, art, definitely. Um, it's it's absolutely fantastic movie. Um, but I want to talk about the animation because most animation is filmed in 12 pr- frames per second, so every second you have 12 individual images. And there's a certain uh, myth about Akira in that it was filmed at 24 frames per second, which is true to a degree um, because the the movie actually has a different amount of frames per second depending on what's happening on screen at the time. So, for example, um, when you've just kind of got um, scenes where, uh, I was going to say actors, but they're not, they're characters. Characters are just kind of chatting, those are filmed in 12 frames per second. Um, And you can tell that there's there's not as much detail in those kind of uh, scenes. The, when it switches to kind of a more action uh, set piece so for example the epic motorcycle chase which is just looks phenomenal that is actually when they increase it to 24 frames per second because and it's it's the sort of um it's the sort of fluidity that you you would get from a live action movie is, is what you get from these sort of the explosions and when the the kind of apocalyptic uh, wave kind of goes through the city it's, it gives the movie this kind of feeling of, of, of clarity and, and crispness, um, which is kind, it's really unparalleled, I think, um, when it comes to hand-drawn animation. Um, and so really, that, I just, just wanted to say, um, that this, is, this is a movie that looks fantastic, but it's also a movie that contains some really interesting themes. Um, there's obviously um, parallels with the Hiroshima bombing um, in this movie, Um, It depicts uh, the atomic bombing, or the supposed atomic bombing of Tokyo um, in 1988, Um, and Tokyo is essentially reborn as Neo-Tokyo, but Neo-Tokyo is a very dystopian city. Um, It's a very kind of grimy and grim city, and the people of Neo-Tokyo are not having the best time um, with their lot in life. There's a lot of uh, rebellion going on. There's a lot of protests going on. Um, there's a lot of government corruption going on. Um, and it's, it's a really interesting movie to talk about. Um, but I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you guys right. um, is, we'll get it out of the way, is there anything that you don't like about this movie?
3: It's hard to say, like, because obviously it's such, it's such a well... Um, like, respected, and it's kind of like a, a cult classic, really. Akira, um, as, you, as you mentioned, it's like I don't think there's anything that I don't like about the film. The only thing I would say that when I watched again, because I watched this years ago, I watched this um, the first time I think I was that. 11, I watched it. That maybe you shouldn't have been. All that goring gu- violence. But, you know, I'm fine. She says crying and rocking. Uh, no, I watched it when I was really young, and I, I really loved it. And it, it was really interesting to watch it again, um, much older, and be able to like take in everything um, that was happening. And the only thing that I would say, I, not that I didn't like, but maybe that was difficult for me, was sometimes... Um, was following the characters because there's points when they're wearing very similar outfits and it's hard to figure out whether, is that Tetsuo? Is that, is that Canada? Because there's a point when they, like and, and the um, uh, the lady characters, I think it was Tetsuo's girl, um, Tetsuo's love interest and, no, Tetsuo's girlfriend in Canada's uh, love, uh, love interest. There's a point when they are also in very similar clothing and mm-hmm. I think that was the thing that was, that maybe sometimes I was like wait who am I following now who is this person that I'm looking at but it was quite interesting because we were talking about this on the train with Kira she mentioned about how timeless a lot of their outfits were because this was obviously made in the 80s and there's no like
2: distinctively glaring 80s type attire is there occasionally on the girls there's the odd thing where you go "Ooh, that haircuts a bit that looks (laughs) like my aunt in you know family photos but yeah no it's very um it was in like
3: the future, wasn't
2: it? Yeah, like, my mum said she watched a film where, to in order to make it timeless, they put everyone in very unisex outfits because they figured in the future, gender would be less of an issue. Interesting, interesting as that's right? starting to unravel that idea. And I felt like this was sort of similar. The yeah. girls are in, like, quite high-riding skirts and stuff. But apart from that, it seemed like the people were in boiler suits. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, they're motorcycle gangs, so you'd yeah. expect that, but it... it yeah there wasn't like on most people I mean some of the heavies were in kind of suits which is timeless all heavies wear big suits you know the scientists were dressed like scientists everyone you know the style was quite uniform it wasn't you didn't go oh god that looks old yeah
3: and I think that was good in in making it timeless like you said but I think it made it difficult sometimes to distinguish what character I was following because there Mm. were very similar haircuts and things like that but yeah, that was the only thing. And I wouldn't say that's a, a thing I
1: like. A hate or anything. Yeah, I think, I think with a movie like this, it's, you can't possibly say, well, I hate this part of the movie. No. Because it is so iconic and it is so well done. And I think it's a movie that also benefits from multiple viewings mm-hmm. because when you're talking about a movie like this, which is based on a manga, uh, mm-hmm. the manga is six volumes. Yeah. Um, and I believe as well that the manga wasn't finished before the movie no. was finished. So um, so they basically took the first edition and the final edition, and that, that's basically the content of, of the movie. So there are basically four editions of the manga that are kind of missing oh, from right. the movie. Um, but I kind of feel a little bit like they've obviously got a great the movie starts so iconically and obviously the end of the movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I do, the only thing I would say is I think it suffers a little in the middle because mm-hmm. it it kind of has all of these little plot points, you know, with the uh, the government yeah. stuff mm-hmm. and when they're in the sewers and everything yeah. like that and and it, it kind of wants to go somewhere and it just kind of doesn't quite get there. Yeah. It's like we know there's some sort of government conspiracy yeah, yeah. or, you know, that the government are hiding something, mm-hmm. but, but you, never find you, it never it really is. kind of delivers. Yeah. Um yeah. But that is like a really minor problem Yeah, right. For me, it's
2: yeah. That was that was similar issue with me as well. Is there was this whole bigger social point about corrupt government and how people behave when they don't trust their government? I thought that was so interesting. And towards the end, I have a pet peeve, which is cra- loud crash, bangy fights. And mm-hmm. there was lots of flying through the air, and you know, the, you know, the end he, it's kind of ambiguous. What happens? I don't know. Just the kind of, it got very what I will say is I had a really bad migraine when I watched the end of this and all the kind of swelling and bulging and bright colours. I just thought, like, this is too much. Did you just kind of feel like, this is what's going on in my head right like yeah. now? Yeah, yeah. There was one bit like of so,
3: visual representation of my brain.
2: Literally. Um, when um, Tetsuo starts swelling mm-hmm. and oh, I, got, right, yeah. I remember at that point I thought I might vomit. So. <laughs> yeah
1: well the thing is is it, it's very kind of visceral imaging isn't yeah, it, it is. because, yeah. you know and, and the, the the animation is so good when he's kind of reached the point obviously we're kind of skipping to the end a little bit yeah. but when he's kind of sitting on that kind of concrete throne and, mm-hmm. and you have all of these like wires the yeah. yeah. coming out and that was
2: so cool I really like that bit that was really cool. that was... the thing
1: is it's so visceral because it, it, your brain is just like instantly like oh my god yeah yeah like, right? and yeah. then obviously when you get it's that like, mutation like start, the flesh a, just spilling
3: yeah. out and
1: you're just like mm-hmm. oh But the, the the most fascinating part <laughs> about about the animation style is that that was all you know I think they probably did use computers to kind of help guide the mm. animators as to where to go but otherwise that was all kind of hand drawn so mm. every kind of little string of yeah. wire that kind of yeah. when he's like reattaching his yeah. arm and it's just like and the it's way growing the, up. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's just honest this to god this is what this I, is I love it's
3: about hand drawn animation yeah. and not to say that computer generated animation does not have the same level of skill and, and artistry I, I really it's amazing I would love to be an animator that's my dream job but something about hand drawn like you can see it there's yeah. just stuff there's like a there's an edge to it yeah. that you just can't replicate when it's computer generated you can just see every single step that's yeah. been drawn
1: because it's not perfect which is the exactly thing. yeah there's imperfections in hand drawn animation that you yeah. just don't get yeah um but yeah I mean I anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm just the biggest fan of I'm the biggest fan of animation just as you know, in general, mm-hmm. but hand drawn animation is, is so special, and this is the, this is one of the, the most perfect mm-hmm. examples of mm-hmm. of how wonderful animation can be, mm-hmm. um, and how all encompassing it is. I, I distinctly remember mentioning in the Iron Giant episode that I always get a bit peeved when people call animation a genre, mm-hmm. and they say, "Oh, well, my favourite genre of movie is animation," you know, oh, and that's great because I'm glad that they appreciate animation enough to say I love it, mm-hmm. but Akira is Proof, if any is necessary, that the the themes, especially you mentioned the mature themes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's quite a lot of blood and um, violence, and gore and, and yes yeah, nudity. But, yeah. Yeah, 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 you have exposed breasts, and I mean, I think it's fifteen rated, so you know, it's it's very mature themes that it's talking about. Um, but the fact that an animation can can do that and successfully portray that mm-hmm. um, is. Another reason why I still stress that please don't call animation a genre because animation can encompass any genre. You know, this yeah. is this is classic it's kind like of a
3: film style, really, isn't it? Exactly. You this can choose is... to tell your your story via like live
1: action, or you can choose yeah. to animate it. Yeah. Interesting. We're going to talk about live action uh, oh, well, a I'll little bit I later. Um, but <laughs> yeah, it's this is this is one of the reasons why animation is is so wonderful because it can take this kind of dystopian, sci-fi, futuristic. Uh, world um, with these powers I mean, you know, superheroes nowadays ten a penny, you know literally every, um, pretty much every movie that comes out is related to superheroes in some way, but when this movie came out back in uh, 1988 there was no superhero boom but this movie is is so reminiscent of sort of the movies that have come out recently, you know, where people are discovering they have power Mm -hmm. and and what, how they deal with that power. Um, But, you know, we can obviously talk a little bit about uh, specific characters. Um, I really just kind of want to, because there are quite a few characters in the Mm -hmm. movie, um, I kind of just want to concentrate on uh, Canada and Tetsuo. Yeah. um, Because they're kind of our main sort of Antagonist and, and protagonist, yeah. really. Uh, actually, it's the other way around. But um, but it, it's, they have a really interesting story um, because they obviously met in an orphanage, mm-hmm. um, and we don't know the reasons why they were orphaned or why they were given up as children, but they've not had the best start in life. Mm-hmm. So um, we we can kind of take from their behaviour at the start of the movie, they're obviously in, in a biker gang. Mm-hmm. They are misbehaving youths, uh, yeah. they're not interested in school. Yeah. Um, but then it seems like the system in Neo-Tokyo isn't really set up for an education. Yeah. Yeah. It it doesn't really see any value in these young people, mm-hmm. um, because it's quite clear that there's there's obviously other things going on um, in Neo-Tokyo that the government is more focused on than the education of right, the youth. Yeah. So the youth kind of feel like they have nothing, and that they don't deserve something, and I think that kind of you can see that from where you've got uh, uh, Tetsuo, for example, who's clearly got a lot of anger um, mm-hmm. and a massive inferiority complex.
2: Right, yes. Yes. yeah, sure. um, Comes across, yeah. Because <laughs> he's obviously,
1: he has this friendship with uh, Canada, and whereas Canada is, uh, you know, this very kind of rebellious, egotistical, yeah. you can kind of see in their relationship that, that Canada is, is kind of more of the. I want to like say boss, but. Yeah. He, yeah, he's yeah. kind of the leader yeah, yeah. of the
3: group. He's um, got the fastest, best bike. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and obviously the iconic red bike. Yeah. I mean, it, it, there are there are certain visual styles in this movie that are completely iconic. Where you've got like the the red bike with with Canada and the sort of red suit Full with outfit. the the capsule yeah. on the back. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of iconic imagery, really. But um, but yeah, we we can kind of see scenes with them together, and Canada is. Obviously, he speaks down to Tetsuo, he doesn't really appreciate Tetsuo. Tetsuo is just kind of like, just there. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think their relationship is really interesting because it kind of seems to me that that's part of the reason why Tetsuo behaves the way that he does later Mm. on, because he has never been in a situation where he's had control over the situation. He's had any sort of power over the situation. And so when he gets that power, it just kind of consumes him completely. Um, I mean, what are what are your guys' kind of thoughts on on the relationship between Canada and Tetsuo?
2: I think exactly that. I think um, their relation. I found this whole film in general to be a bigger kind of I don't know to use a, a wankier word an allegory for how. Um, You know they make that joke about how, oh, that's how serial killers are formed. Like when you say somebody's (laughs) left alone for a while or like somebody's bullied and then they kind of, yeah, like you said, get that power, that taste of power or what it feels to suddenly be in that position. And I feel like Tetsuo, the way he's treated by the rest of the gang, yes, exactly. He comes across as very insecure from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that combined with just being neglected by the state, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: it just... Couples. And Mm. I find the other characters actually... Kind, you know, it's not that they fade into the background, but Tetsuo really holds your attention because he seems so kind of dangerously insecure right from the beginning. Yeah, yeah. You kind of forget about the others a little bit because Tetsuo definitely raises red flags right from the beginning, I would say.
3: It's interesting, though, with that dynamic because I wouldn't say that Canada doesn't doesn't care about Tetsuo because when he gets hit you know um, when he drives ah, into mm. um, one of the little wrinkly old children mm. so test subject weird 20... Nana <laughs>
2: children <laughs>
3: <laughs> test subject 26 oh, I can't remember his name um, but um, when he crashes into him and he obviously blows up and he's like injured and gets mm. taken off by the government sorry very detailed spoiler um, he's, he's he, like Canada actually really like cares he's like worried mm. about him so he, as much as there's a, that obviously like weird alpha alpha beta type dynamic between them i think they do care about each other but it was it was, what i also found really interesting is like when i because um, obviously it's the first time i've watched the film as an adult I, I haven't watched it as an adult since i watched it as a kid and when i was looking at like just posters uh, and things like that it was quite interesting that canada was on uh, canada was on the front like, I found that really interesting, because I was like, oh, he's the lead? Because I never would have, I would have thought Tetsuo was like, if we kind of study him more than anything, and I would have thought that, oh, it's interesting that he's not on the cover uh, of it, it's focused on Canada, as still, with him and his bike, and I found that quite interesting, I don't know what you guys think about that, like, who would you say is the lead, and who's the supporting, well, or are they both...
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when you talk about a lead character, you would argue that it was Tetsuo, but if you were talking about the protagonist, um, I would say that Tetsuo is the antagonist of the story. Although he's the focal point of the story, um, I would say that Kaneda is sort of more the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I I agree with Kira in that I think that Tetsuo is kind of a victim of his own circumstance, really, and, and of his own upbringing. Um, you know, you could argue that had he had a a great childhood with loving parents, that he probably wouldn't have ended up the way that he did. Um, But it seems to me that a great childhood with loving parents is just not a thing in Mm -hmm. Neo-Tokyo. Because, obviously, we find out that in 1988, as I said, this massive kind of atomic bomb essentially went off and destroyed pretty much the whole city. Um, so, they've obviously spent quite a lot of time rebuilding, um, and they obviously have other priorities um, when it comes to rebuilding um, the city. It's not important, I guess, to the movie. I was just curious is that when you watch this movie or, or kind of any anime, um, do you prefer subs or dubs? I'm a subs. You're a subs.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay yeah I'm a subber I like listening I like I like the tone of Japanese uh, being spoken and also I find the, the fact that the lips aren't in time a bit disconcert. I get a bit thrown off yeah. yeah so it's like I'd rather have subs but I watched it this time with dubs because that was the only one I could find
0: Oh, I so watched exactly? it with
2: subs, because, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm
3: usually a subber, but I could mm. only find a, a dubbed version, so it was the first time I'd watched it dubbed, and that was
2: weird. <laughs> I, I, I watched subs because like, that was the only one I could find as well, so it was kind of what was available yeah. more than preference, but I do I agree with what you mean, the the tone of voice. You do, it always feels more authentic. You feel like, mm. oh, that's what that character is meant to sound like, because mm-hmm. yeah. with Canada, I get the impression he's supposed to be a bit of a charmer or a little bit cheeky, and you're meant mm-hmm. to go, oh less like when they are taken in by the police like he's a bit of a sharp talker and he's a bit you know a bit of a scamp yeah Yeah. Uh, a little scamp and you know um just to go back to sorry just very quick reference back and i I got this in the tone of his voice as well is you're meant to kind of i know you said he is technically the protagonist because he has likable qualities like he's got the girl he's kind of hankering over and He's got the good heart, and he clearly means well, and he's a bit cheeky and a bit chappy, and yet he's somehow not as interesting a watch as um, Tetsuro. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I I mean, it's interesting because... What about you? You're a sub or a dubber? Well, uh, thanks for asking. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, um, I was going to say, I actually put on Twitter, and it is genuinely true, that I... This is one of the only... Uh, the very few movies that I own on like a collector's edition steelbook. Mm-hmm. And I kind of went out and specifically bought this collector's edition steelbook. Because I don't generally invest in steelbooks because they're really expensive mm-hmm. and they're generally not really worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, steelbook uh, collector. <laughs> but I, I genuinely don't see the point in them a lot. But mm-hmm. for this movie, I kind of felt like I, I had to. Mm-hmm. It comes with like a little booklet. It's very sweet. Oh. Um, but it basically comes with the, the Blu-ray and the DVD. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and with the Blu-ray, um, it basically kind of just starts uh, with dubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, um, I'm, I'm a subber and a dubber, mm-hmm. um, and I, that's probably a bit sacrilegious, but I, I kind of feel like... To get the genuine, authentic experience, I think you have to do subs. Mm -hmm. Because I think, like you say, and especially with a movie like Akira, where they actually recorded um, the voice before they animated, which Mm -hmm. is generally not what they do, but they wanted to get, obviously, the inflection and everything like that to animate it. But I feel like with that, um, when you're talking about subs, you obviously do get that, even though you can't understand the language, Mm -hmm. um, you can still kind of get the emotion that comes through from from the voice performance. Um, But... When I watched it this time, um, it was the uh, the sort of newer English dub, mm-hmm. um, which, to be fair, like I I actually do quite enjoy. It wasn't awful, was it? No, it was actually quite good. Mm-hmm. And and I know that there's a lot of argument between like you know subs and dubs and uh, oh well you know to get the authentic experience you need to do subs. The way I look at it is you kind of do whatever suits you. Yeah, well, um, and if if you because some people don't like to kind of read subtitles yeah. while watching a movie. There's pros and um, cons. Like I can yeah. see, I
3: I felt like I was able to focus more on the imagery when I didn't have to read subtitles. Yeah. Which I am fine anyway. I can focus on imagery, but I'm like, okay, I'm 100% just focusing on the screen and the images on the screen, whereas mm. I guess you're kind of splitting your your uh, your brain power to be like read the text and see what's happening at the same you're time. You're going
1: like, up, yeah. Down, yeah. Up. yeah. <laughs> which is fine. It's not impossible, but <laughs> Yeah, mm, that. but yeah, so for this particular, for watching it when I watched it, um, I watched the dub, um, but generally, I, I kind of do a bit of a mix and match. With like, Studio Ghibli, I, I tend to watch dubs, but only because I find that the Disney dubs are actually quite good on okay. those, um, but it's very much... It just depends. Mm. But I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that, you know, people, people should do whatever they want, you know. Yeah, yeah. No one's ever no going to get... right or wrong, is there? Exactly. No one's ever going to get uh, beef from me because they like dubs, for example, because the way I look at it is they're actually taking the time to watch uh, a classic uh, Japanese anime. Mm-hmm. However they want to watch it, it's called cool by me. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just curious. Um, yeah. So we've already mentioned this movie is actually set in 2019 yes. um, and they've got the Olympics the following year you know obviously it all happens in the Olympic
3: Stadium and I was like yeah. wait they've got the Olympics also happening in 2020 it's I was weird shook. it's <laughs> but, weird isn't it weird. it's
1: like it's like it predicted
3: the future I know I was like did, did Japan like on purpose decide they were going to do the Olympics mm-hmm. in 2020 so that Akira Fantasy
1: like it's, happened yeah. it's I find it really fascinating when certain movies kind of end up predicting the future. Yeah. Right. I know that people are obsessed with like Back to the Future, aren't they? And like when Back to the Future, when it was like 2015, mm-hmm. everyone was like, oh my God, it's like, what's going to happen in 2015? Yeah. Back yeah. to the Future. And nothing happened. Yeah. Uh, we, we still never got hoverboards, guys. Uh. Um, but, um, well, we, we, end, we did end up with... A thing called a hoverboard, but it doesn't hover in any well, way. No, mm-hmm. I was going to talk about the... A ginger-faced guy with like blonde hair that Uh, ended up in power. uh, Yeah, yeah, Back to the Future. This is all your fault. Um, Brilliant. But but, um, so the the as I mentioned, the setting is sort of post-nuclear apocalyptic. Um, but we actually find out in this movie that it wasn't, uh, you know, a nuclear bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually this test subject uh, named Akira mm-hmm.
3: um,
1: who destroyed Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But in destroying Tokyo actually led on to a sort of a massive global world war, which essentially became World War III. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are massive ramifications for these test subjects and what they were actually doing to these children um, in order, so obviously uh, we don't actually know much about Akira as a character, although the movie is named after him yep. uh, we don't know much about him other than he had this immense power um, it was uncontrollable so obviously they, they, they couldn't control it mm-hmm. and he basically ended up destroying all of Tokyo um, and to prevent it from happening the other test subjects were sort of heavily medicated mm-hmm. um, in order to keep their powers down, it kind of prematurely aged them, so they look really weird and old. <laughs> yeah. uh, like Anita said, the uh, wrinkly weird wrinkly kid yeah. <laughs> who looks like 40. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, they're continuously drugging these kids um, and trying to keep them under control because they don't want another Akira to happen. Um, it's really interesting, though, because the when at the start of the movie, you, you meet uh, one of the children... Um, I'm trying to remember which child it was I think it was um, Takashi is who you meet number 26 yeah, Tekashi, yeah. so Takashi um, is we meet him because he's essentially being rescued by someone uh, because we see this man kind of dragging him through the streets and he's injured mm-hmm. um, but I don't think we ever find out who the man is uh, I don't know if so this is random so you know um, the
3: oh my gosh I forgot her name the the love interest of uh, Canada. Like she mentions that they tried. Okay. Uh, yes, she she mentions that they tried to. Well, her boss Ryu, I think, was his name Ryu. Yeah. Yeah. He mentioned that they tried to steal one of the subjects, and I thought the guy at the beginning got shot is one of them trying to steal one of the subjects, because he mentions it in passing when they're in that room. Mm-hmm. Do you remember before they break in the sewer system and in, into the, like before they all get in the boiler oh. suit? He mentions it in that room, and I was like, "Oh, is that, like, is that what's oh, happening at right. the beginning?"
1: Do you know what? That, that's I am shook. Like <laughs> <laughs> shook. But... No, but that makes complete sense because I always wondered who was the one that they tried to yeah. to take. But yeah, that. that oh my god we're learning stuff <laughs> no. um, but yeah no that, that absolutely does make sense I just assumed I think that they, they were trying that it was like a rescue like it was mm. like one of the scientists was trying to like rescue the boy I mean I'm um, open to someone correcting me but I, that's well, how we I don't, understood we, that we just don't know <laughs> uh, uh, anyone who works on Kira maybe you could tell <laughs> us. Um, I mean it might be something that's kind of goes into more detail sort of in the manga maybe Mm. which by the way I've not read I don't know if either of you have read the manga no but I
3: I wonder how expensive that they are like I wonder if it's quite a pricey manga I mean there's only six you say there's six volumes six yeah Mm.
1: I'll have a look online. Yeah, I think, I think it would be quite interesting. Maybe you should read it and then let us know. Yeah, Actually, yeah. the boy was being, you know, <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> Yeah, and then, um, then we we'll, we'll, we can find out. But, but yeah, um, I can't remember what my point was. <laughs> Sorry. But, yeah, we're just going off on a bit of a tangent. It happens. We'll, we'll just carry on. Um, so, obviously, the main thing with this movie... Um, I think is the visuals uh, because yeah. it's a very visually stunning movie as I've mentioned oh um, yep. it was uh, there were some scenes that are 24 frames per second um, mm-hmm. it's also full cinema scope aspect um, huh? so it's 172,000 frames so it's all hand drawn there were 68 animators Just and at the time it broke records for how much it cost so at the time it cost 1.1 1. 1 million yen uh, which I have no idea how much it is now, but if you take into account inflation... 5 <laughs> Do you type for, like,
2: 14
1: or something? Quite right, a lot. Yeah,
2: maybe, um,
1: so, and what I think is really great is we've talked about, obviously, Neo-Tokyo is a city that has basically been built over 30 years. Um, it's a very futuristic-looking city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's called Neo-Tokyo, so you'd imagine it would have some neon in it. It has mm-hmm. lots of neon. <laughs> it's very kind of uh, reminiscent of Blade Runner, in mm, the kind yeah. of very neon style. Yeah. Um, but then you kind of have all these beautiful kind of lights, but then down in the streets it mm-hmm. feels really dark and really dingy and dirty, and and, and it, it feels like destitute, really. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've mentioned, you kind of have this contrast between this sort of dark and dismal downtown um, where these kind of protests are going on, they're protesting yeah. against the government oh, yeah. re- regime, but then you've got these contrast with this kind of bright neon cityscape as well. Um, and one thing that I absolutely adore about this movie, and I to be honest, I have no idea how they how they actually animate it, but where you have at the start of the movie you have bike chases. Mm-hmm. And the bike chases the are the lights. The light trails. The light um, trails yeah. are, f- are fantastic. I mean they very Tron-esque right it's just yes very tron-esque yes absolutely um I mean it's it's absolutely gorgeous. And and to be honest, I'd never seen anything like that. And I remember when I first watched this movie, just being, like, I think my jaw was on the floor, just mm-hmm. thinking, this this just looks incredible. This is like a movie from the 80s. And if you compare it with other movies from the 80s, it's just like, it's it's nothing like anything else. Mm-hmm. But I think that's kind of the reason why it's such a wonderful experience mm-hmm. to kind of sit and watch. Um, I mean, when we're talking about, like, the look of the movie, like, what, what do you guys kind of enjoy kind of most about the look of the movie?
3: Oh, okay. Do you want me to start?
2: Yeah, go for it. Sorry, this this is a question that we have not prepared in advance. (laughs) No, I actually weirdly did think about this. Yeah, Um, Do you want to start then? I... One thing that I really loved about another anime, Ghost in the Shell, they both do this. I really love... The first, first one. Yeah. I really loved... um, and, and it's the same with Blade Runner as well is how scale and the idea of mega cities, well, you know, overpopulation makes these kind of uh, these infinite. These buildings are infinitely wide, and there's so many doors and windows you couldn't possibly begin to count them, and that feels quite jarring and. But also the way they're illustrated is beautiful. And I remember there's a bit in Ghost in the Shell where it's looking up through an apartment complex mm-hmm. and just all the different signs hanging down and balconies. And just the scale of it is dizzying, but it's somehow so beautiful. And I found that about this one as well. Like with the hospitals, the kind of military... Is it military hospital, was fair to say? The kind of yeah. industrial yeah, yeah. hospital. Yeah. You know, it feels like they're in corridor like one of a million. And like yeah, it's yeah. almost like
3: where he's kept doesn't he yeah
2: it just feels like frighteningly big and Mm -hmm. there's um it keeps cutting to the outside of this building and when you get and there's like a dizzying sense of like how small the windows are compared to like the size of the building and I love that's one thing that I really it really struck me is how the buildings are kind of the world the buildings create Mm -hmm. I really love that about this film um Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just... I don't know what it is about anime and, like, grossy dystopian worlds, but they make them look simultaneously so frightening really beautiful, but beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah. 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 Um, in terms of me for, like, the imagery, like, I guess it was... how the imagery was used in, like, animation, like, how it was animated. So, talking about the 24 frames per second that you mentioned, um, how some of it was 12, how some of it was 24, as well as, I think, the car chase scenes, I think they also used the same frame rate for a lot of the slow-mo scenes where they animated like really slow movements. Because yeah. I, I was watching that and I was like, that's not been animated to like the normal frames for second mm. that you normally see because there was like, so you could tell that they'd studied someone rolling off a bed and then they were like, we need to copy that frame, 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 frame by frame because it was just so fluid and yeah. so smooth. Yeah. And that's quite a hard thing to do with hand-drawn animation to get that fluidity. You have to fill in those gaps.
1: Yeah. Mm
3: um and the artist did like an incredible job there was a lot of slow mo in it of like really quite complex mm. things when someone was like rolling off a bed or like it was liquid mm. um and i particularly liked just like ghost in the shell as well the, there's there's these montages which are just surreal so for example there's a scene when um Tetsuo is in bed and he's like oh my head oh <laughs> um and he's Toys come to life. Yes. And then they yeah, all yeah. amalgamate and form giant versions of his toys, and then they start spewing milk out of all their little toy holes, and it, it, it gets surreal. And, it, and I remember watching that whole thing, and I was like, I can see where Ghost in the Shell mm. got a lot of this influence from this kind of really surreal, like, experience and really, like, odd imagery. And it, it was weird because it was like, it reminded you of when you had, like, a lucid dream, mm. like, watching it. So that's what I really loved about, like, the imagery that you saw. And, um, I also really love fluid animation and you know when he was like getting all gashy and fleshy and like he was spilling out I just oh, loved how fluid that was and like how disgustingly fluid that was Yeah, but I really loved it because that's really hard to do as well Yeah, and uh, yeah so it was for me it was like how they used the images and animated them and yeah created some really cool scenes
1: yeah and the thing is is like nowadays they would just use computers to do that mm-hmm. and, I, and I kind of feel like a computer can obviously make it look super realistic like like you know, if, the bul- if it's bulging flesh, you know, they can make it look like it's real bulging flesh. Mm-hmm. And obviously this doesn't look like it's real bulging flesh, but it's still so visceral. Right, yeah. You know, it's like you can feel every bulge. Yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, when it's like kind of spewing out of his arm, you know, yeah. you can, oh, man. You know when it's like, it's almost like little, um, not like tentacles, but they're like, when the little things are kind of spewing yeah, out yeah. and kind of grasping onto the ground, you can really kind of feel it because it, it is, like you say, so fluid, and it mm-hmm. feels so real, that mm-hmm. and it's a style of animation that I don't think has ever been surpassed. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm very open to any suggestions of uh, anyone listening who mm-hmm. thinks that there's another, you know, whether it be anime or whether it be any sort of Western animation, that can surpass the level of um, fluidity and, uh, and just kind of sheer visceral quality of mm-hmm. Akira, because I genuinely don't think there is, but... Yeah, feel free. Let me know. Uh, I will watch anything.
3: (laughs) Uh. At least I feel like a lot of people took that visceral feeling and applied it into other stuff. Because the the moment, you know when his arm starts coming out and it's, like, just disgustingly, like, shoots out, Mm. like, out of his, like, chest, this massive gammy arm, it really reminded me of, like, Resident Evil, (laughs) like, where you'd have, like, some of those, like, weird, freaky old, fluidy zombies. It really reminded me of that. And I was like, ah, like, you know, it's... it's kind of like similar i wonder if they took it from there or at least they were inspired by something from akira so i don't know if people i think people might use the same feeling that akira did but i don't yeah, know yeah anyone... i mean
1: i mean we'll we'll talk a little bit later about obviously there are many other movies that take an influence from akira because it's It's obviously, you know, when we're talking about sci-fi, when we're talking about dystopian sci-fi specifically, you know, sort of cyberpunk Mm. sci-fi, you know, there's a lot... And obviously when we're talking about superheroes as well, there's a lot that's kind of taken um, influence from this movie. Um, The other thing that I wanted to talk about was, um, obviously, when we're talking about this movie, we're talking about a movie with... um, When when we're talking about Tetsuo specifically... um, it's, it's a story very much of, of isolation mm. and, and fear. Mm. He doesn't know what's happening to him. He kind of mm. wakes up in this room, as you said. Mm. Um, he starts having all of these lucid dreams mm-hmm. where things are coming to life, and he's petrified. Yeah. Like, oh. genuinely, if you woke up and your toys or whatever started like moving and walking mm. towards you and being all happy and jolly and then kind of formed this massive monster, mm-hmm. you'd, you'd think you were going absolutely mad. Um, But also, um, obviously, when we're talking about 2019 today um, and we're talking about, you know, um, the corruption of power, for example, and we're talking about what fear can do, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's especially kind of poignant um, because I think a lot of what's happening in the world, just generally, Mm -hmm. comes from not only fear and isolation, you know, feeling like you're not being listened to, Mm -hmm. feeling worried about... Uh, what might happen to you yes. or to your family yeah. um, and also the people in power yeah. uh, I don't seem to be kind of really representing the, mm-hmm. the everyday people and I feel like a movie like Akira is kind of telling that story 30 years ago yeah. um, so um, it's weird sorry to like no, but
3: carry it's weird because like, when I was watching this I was like "This." I know it's a different country guys story I know but it's <laughs> it it reminds me I was watching this and I was like especially with some of the rioting and stuff that was happening on the street and I was like this this reminds me of Hong Kong this reminds Mm -hmm. me of the stuff that I've been seeing on TV Mm -hmm. with the Hong Kong riots and it was just like really weird and I was watching this Neo Tokyo kind of with all these upset residents the police are you know being unjust Mm. and like the corruption and stuff and i was watching this and i was like it really reminded me of hong kong like what's happening now yeah in 2019
2: i had a similar like because i feel this film is very poignant at the moment and i watched this the day after i watched the debates on channel four about climate change and um for those who don't know boris johnson nigel Farage didn't turn up and they are two people who are willing to put their own ambitions ahead of the climate and scientists and there is a bit where um the military general what's his name Um, hang on general uh oh colonel shikishima colonel shikishima and he says oh scientists are just romantics they're basically he describes scientists as fancy so he um deliberately undermines you know the power and the understanding of science to get his own ambitions ahead Mm -hmm. and i just i found that bit particularly it made me feel a bit frightened because i just i was watching it i thought god i'm it's t- it is 2019 and i'm watching our prime minister do what he's doing is kind of telling everyone ignore the scientists they're being ridiculous they, they couldn't possibly understand we're the practical ones you see well we really understand what needs to be happening here mm. and i did that made me feel very unsettled because yeah. <laughs> i was thinking wow okay watching my own prime minister do that <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's, it's- and I know we've obviously talked a little bit about how certain movies can predict the future, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like sometimes, sometimes movies kind of just kind of put it out there and think, well, you know, this might happen in the future. But I kind of feel like with with this movie, it's almost like it knew yeah.
2: um,
1: that all all that needs, to, and, and I pray to God that nothing terrible happens. But is it going to take some, you know, post apocalyptic? you know, uh, thing to happen in order for something to change, you know, and especially when we're talking about things like climate change, you know, people have been talking about things like that for I don't know how long, you know, decades. People have talked about climate change and there are still people out there who do not believe that the planet is getting hotter, despite all of this scientific evidence Mm. and all of these very clever scientists saying, well, here's the proof that the climate is changing, you know, Mm we're having all of these um, uh, you know massive spikes in temperature yeah. all of these kind of uh, weather events happening, mm-hmm. floods and forest tornadoes, fires. forest fires I mean they're happening right now like in Australia, I think they're still battling fires oh, yeah. like and, and there are still people who are like climate change isn't real <laughs> nah yeah. mate, nah propaganda are you not living in the same world that I'm living in? like yeah. It's very clear that the amount of pollution that we're putting into mm. the atmosphere mm. is causing a problem. The plastics are yeah. causing a problem. Like, we need to do something about that. And this movie is predicting that. Mm. You know? And it's not predicting it in the same way. It's not saying, you know, oh, Tetsuo drank a bottle of uh, Evian water and uh, didn't put it in the recycling. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> but it's the same sort of principle. It's, it's a mass global event is going to happen mm. if we don't do something about it. Um, and, and, and that's another reason why this movie is so incredible because it's literally... And I, I really hope it's not predicting our future because mm-hmm. the future in this movie is not a nice future. Mm-hmm.
2: Did you get the feeling as well that they were kind of doing... Again, this theme never seems to go away. Is government seeing people as completely disposable? Like, I felt the bloodshed in it was Ooh. almost like... It was almost like with the, the military, mm-hmm. the way they kind of fired at people was like, right, get them out yeah, of the yeah, way. Yeah. It yeah, was, yeah, yeah. And I felt like that's still relevant, well, like it's depressing. Well, like said
1: with the Hong Kong. Like, yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like... I'm not, it might not have been Hong Kong. I'm trying to remember. There was some protest or something. It may not have been Hong Kong. But where they were, like, firing towards, like, protesters. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was mainly kind of... I don't think anyone was actually killed or anything. But, yeah. obviously... And, and I do fear that we're kind of reaching a point where, you know, people... People are allowed to, like, peacefully protest mm-hmm. as long as mm-hmm. it doesn't cause any issue mm-hmm. yeah. for the government or for yeah. the state or for the police or anything like that. And mm-hmm. as soon as, you know, people start to protest because they're really angry about what's mm-hmm. going on, it's it's kind of... It's all of a sudden like, well, you know, you can't protest, you can't say this, you can't no. say that. But I kind mm-hmm. of feel like... People need an opportunity to kind of vent their frustration and their anger with what's going on in the world. Um, Also, low-key, right, the general guy,
3: was that a coup? Because I was like, from a person, I I came from a country that had a coup that was not a coup, but it was definitely a coup. (laughs) What's that coup? After he decided to be like, yeah, I'm going to take you down and I'm just going to take matters in my own hand. Was that a military coup?
2: It must have, Yeah, that's well, the implication, yeah. isn't it, really, but if he's ag- yeah. got to say.
1: But again, I kind of feel like that was a bit half-baked because right. I don't think it ever kind of felt, felt like a natural conclusion.
2: Because well, there's a bit around the table and they're chatting to the... Isn't, I'm sure the Prime Minister is present or they're referring to the Prime Minister mm. and they say, basically the government is saying, we can't keep giving you money. more money. Yeah. And the military's like, well, looks like you're going to have to, so... yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
3: bit awkward (laughs) but
1: yeah again I I do kind of feel like though that that is such an interesting kind of thing to talk about Mm -hmm. when we're talking about a uh, a setting like Neo-Tokyo which is so politically corrupt Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the movie wants to talk about the corruption in in politics Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how that kind of how that created Akira in the first place Mm -hmm. Um, yeah
3: yeah why were they even testing exactly
1: like you know but it, I feel like the movie doesn't really go anywhere with it mm. because it, I don't mm. think it has the time to kind yeah. of go anywhere. And it was quite a long film for its time. It was like two hours, mm.
3: I think. Yeah, just Which over is two hours. Quite long, yeah.
1: right, for a film. Like
3: yeah. in the Eighties. I didn't think films normally lasted that long back then. Yeah.
2: What I find interesting about that as well is two hours beautifully drawn. You know the okay. This sounds like a, a side point. You know the music video take on me by. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That was over a thousand images put together to make the bits where she's cutting in yep. and out of the cartoon world. Mm-hmm. How long? How many pages in Akira? Then, literally a thousand for three minutes. Yeah. So how much for? For two hours. Um, uh, <laughs>
1: I think you'll find I, I already mentioned it. One hundred seventy-two thousand. Oh no! <laughs> uh, this is where uh, Akira wasn't paying attention. Akira. Earlier.
0: Akira was not paying attention. <laughs>
1: Go and sit in the corner oh, and think about what you've done. In the
3: corner of Sam's and Peterborough. <laughs> in the corner of
2: Sam's, Peterborough.
1: No. <laughs> no, it's crazy. It's quite a long film for its for its time. Yeah, yeah I, I definitely... I mean, especially when you're talking about an animated film as well, because animated f- films tend to... Well, they do tend to be focused sort of at children this is not a children's no, movie no. Uh, this
2: is a movie I watched it
1: when I was a child adults <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and he's just like and yet uh... <laughs> oh <God."> she's, <laughs> she's still traumatized by that experience <laughs> I used to watch the X-Files when I was little I'm sure I shouldn't have
3: that's a uh, lot yeah.
2: of films I games the X-Files played. was great though it was yeah, yeah. like oh Mulder and Scully there's one where like the I remember these they had like no face and I met that still haunts me like I remember seeing that and going
1: yeah but i think that was kind of the point with the x-files was yeah it was to to shock you but, mm-hmm. but yeah I used to love the x-files anyway let's not Sorry. deviate Sorry. Because... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> um so where are we right okay so i just want to quickly talk about um as i mentioned this is uh essentially uh i mean it may not have been the first anime that uh most people saw um mm-hmm. But essentially, I think back in the 80s, um, anime as as a style of animation, and and Japanese movies in general, um, it wasn't really something that the West Mm -hmm. generally knew about. um, Mm -hmm. And I think this movie is credited with introducing um, that style of uh, Japanese anime specifically to the West. Mm -hmm. um, Because although uh, Studio Ghibli had formed, uh, I think it was like 1979, I believe, off the top of my head, um, it, it People knew about things like My Neighbour Totoro, um, but it wasn't really until Akira that people really kind of stood up and took notice yeah. of, of of this kind of style of movie-making, and specifically with Akira, the, the adult themes that, mm-hmm. it, you know... And, and when we're talking about uh, Japanese animation, obviously... This is obviously, uh, it's it's a movie for grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, it's rated 15. There are adult themes in the movie. I do think, though, it is a very good movie, not for young children, obviously, but for teenagers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really great movie to introduce teenagers to mm-hmm. this style of animation, mm-hmm. especially if those kids have grown up with... Uh, Studio Ghibli movies like Spirited Away it feels like a bit of a natural Mm -hmm. successor Mm. um, to those because those movies do deal with uh, very interesting themes um, but this is very much a more kind of adult uh, orientated theme but it like we've said it's it's all encapsulating it's very relevant to today um when we talk about this movie, because obviously we've not kind of gone through this movie plot by plot, because I kind of feel like if we did, we'd be here forever. And uh, we are at Sam's in Peterborough. Sam's. That's S-A-M-M, apostrophe S. In Peterborough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) But um, we do have a a limited time available. So we don't want to obviously go over our allotted time. And I feel like if we went through the movie plot by plot, we would. (laughs) Um, But when we're talking about the legacy, Of this movie, um, it's really talking about um, the evolution of humanity, Mm -hmm. sort of after a massive disaster. Um, I mean, humanity, sort of in recent times, has gone through periods, uh, sort of post these kind of disastrous um, uh, events. And by that, I'm talking about, um, you know, at the start of the century. Um, humanity went through the Great War and kind of came out the other side uh, had to start rebuilding mm-hmm. uh, Europe essentially um, and then shortly after World War II uh, which again was the kind of this massive world encompassing mm-hmm. event uh, which a lot of people kind of just had to rebuild from mm-hmm. um, but I think this movie essentially I think it makes us ask questions about really who we are and, and what our purpose is mm. in life. Um, when you're talk, we've obviously talked a little bit about Tetsuo and about his story, mm-hmm. um, the fact that he he obviously has this power kind of latent within him because if he didn't have the power, then he wouldn't have registered on. Mm. Uh, on, I can't remember the scientist's name actually. Um, kind of escapes me. But um, when the only, I think one of the few things that's computer generated is the little uh, the, the little, music thing. The little circle of yeah. light and loveliness, <laughs> uh, where it's very clear that he's he's registering a, a level of, of power, mm-hmm. uh, sort of post his um, uh, the, the accident that he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's implied that this power is kind of latent within him, um, and it's kind of all of a sudden come to the forefront. But I think. I think when we're talking about his powers, uh, which obviously manifest in many different ways, with the fact that he uh, he can—he has like telekinesis. Mm -hmm. He can make things move. He can rebuild himself. uh, Fly? Yeah, he can. He kind of learns throughout the movie about all of these powers, and he's kind of a little bit surprised each time. He's like, "Oh, I can do that," (laughs) you know. Um, And but I think it kind of speaks to sort of humanity generally, and. I think that humans generally have quite a lot of power within them that I think they don't realise. And and when we're talking about this movie and, obviously, the themes, uh, when we're talking about... Obviously, we've talked a little bit about climate Mm -hmm. change and stuff like that. And I think that a lot of people, uh, because in the UK, we're obviously... Obviously, when this episode comes out, we will have the results of the forthcoming general election. But as we're recording, we're a couple of weeks away from a general election, which will obviously... uh, Detail going forward. Whoever gets into power will detail how we live our lives, kind of going forward. So there's a lot of pressure going on in the UK at the moment. But oh, I can't remember the point I was trying. To, I remember now. Um, but I think when we're talking about a, a general election, for example, I think that a lot of people kind of have a vote, but they they kind of they don't really want to use it because they feel like they don't have that power within right, them to yeah. make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what this movie teaches us more than anything is, is that, the, you know, whoever you are, the, the power is within you. You mm-hmm. just kind of got mm-hmm. to let it, let it go. But you've also got to use it in the right way. And right, I think yeah, that's yeah. with, with mm-hmm. Tetsuo specifically. He gets this rush of power and, you know, absolute power corrupts mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And, and he kind of goes from this kind of meek, quiet, bullied... Young man, yeah. and just kind of explodes, really. Mm. Um, but I, I do think it kind of speaks to society. I mean, what do you guys think about that? Have I made sense with what
3: yeah. i, yeah, I said? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would also argue that uh, uh, Canada also is showing because I mean, he doesn't have a single power yet. He's willing to keep chasing Tetsuo and shoot rocket or lasers at him. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, and he's obviously he feels up. like as an av- average person. Mm. He's kind of standing up to this superpowered, yeah. superpowered best friend. So he, I think he also, he's also quite a symbol of power as well, or like the power that you can have in yourself.
1: Yeah, mm. yeah. So he's going to stand up to the bad guy and, yeah, you know, even if it is your friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah.
2: Well, one thing that I thought it um, brought up was so in countries where, say, a power has left, has just exited. So like, say, you had a coup or. Like you know, if we go a coup back, that's not a coup. A coup that's definitely not a coup, <laughs> but is also a coup. Um, or like you go back two hundred years, and you had the British Empire, like Britain starting to leave. So, well, mm-hmm. not I mean less time than that. Uh, Britain starting to leave countries and just leaving them as an absolute yeah. shit show, just not taking any responsibility for their actions. You've got a military power in Akira that's doing the same thing. It's just not taking any responsibility for itself. It's letting. And what it, it's always struck me is that when that happens. People are quite vulnerable to bad power because there's no power structure in place, so the the worst can often rise to the top. Yeah. Or people are vulnerable to looking up to interesting people. And there's a bit in the film where there's a cult and they' Yeah, the yes. lady. Yeah. yeah. and the police intercept it yeah. because they're worshipping someone. I thought that was really interesting because there's no real power structure. You know, there's it's kind of a bit lawless in a lot of ways. Mm. It's a bit like I guess it reminded me a bit of Detroit in a lot of ways. Like, there's, I remember um, this is this sounds like such a tangent. Danny Brown, the rapper, um, said like <laughs> Detroit is quite lawless in a lot of ways, so people just do their own thing and they mm-hmm. find their own groups. And it this reminded me of that in a way. In that, so um, what's his name? T- Tetsuo, Tetsuo um, gets possessed by this power. I thought that was an interesting kind of comparison. How people will. Although the pat- that chooses him, he doesn't choose it. it. It's an interesting kind of allegory for people adopting an evil kind of idol, if you want, because they're vulnerable to that. Yeah. They need so They feel like you have the potential to change things, and yeah. then because everything else is just a shit show, they end up choosing the wrong person because yeah. they think, oh, they could they could do something, bring hope, and then. Obviously, he destroys
3: but, the bridge and they all die. And they destroy,
2: mm. uh, destroys the M twenty five and no one can get to Peckham.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you're right though. I found I, I found it interesting how Kira, Akira, not Kira, you went in it. Don't blame me. I feel attacked. <laughs> um, I found it interesting how um, Akira started off as a as an as a thing, like um, not a person. Yeah. yeah, it was like a an entity. because it, 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 it um. Some people described it as a god, like the people, the cult that mm, was there yeah. on the street, they described yeah. it as a god. The girl, uh, Kay, is that a name? Kay? Mm-hmm. Um, K-E-I, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kay, she's in the like, prison with uh, Canada, and she's like saying, oh, is like an innate power that everyone has. She yes, describes it as a like, like, like an power, energy. Like yeah. an energy. Mm. And then it turns out it's this boy. But it was quite interesting, like, like it was... It was, you didn't know what it was for a really long time and it was like this yeah. like, a, like a myth yeah like mm. a myth right and I, I don't know why like, it was quite interesting because it obviously empowered a lot of people to have this god that they followed mm. or this internal energy that they called Akira um, and I don't know what my point was but I found that interesting
1: mm. <laughs> no, no it was it is really interesting and I think you know when when certain members of society do feel like they're not being represented by their government mm. or you know, they feel like uh, they're not being listened to, then they will kind of... They they kind of turn to what they kind of feel like is listening, or like you say. um, And I kind of feel like with the the cult specifically, they kind of worship Akira, not really knowing what Akira is or, Mm. you know, other than the fact that the... uh, tentatively sorry uh, I'm sorry Kira, that was the most distracting Kira thing I've is, ever done Kira was tentatively trying to uh, spoon some rocky road uh, the table was wobbling we were there was a lot of drama <laughs> drama,
2: and drama I
1: was like watching just like oh my oh god, god. She, what <laughs> is she going to do um, it's fine um, anyway back to <laughs> um, okay. yeah so they, they essentially Akira is like this false god um, mm. but it's, it's really interesting when we talk about uh that people will. Why are you going for the rocky road again? <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> Just pick it up. Did you see what I did, Kira? Yeah, I picked it up. Um, yeah. So when we're talking about like when <laughs> she's still trying to eat the rocky road, um, we, can I can I please make my point? <laughs> Shame shame. shame bell on you Oh god!
2: I n- Do you know what I actually nailed it I got through the rocky road Really easily and Then I failed to get it On the spoon <laughs> I didn't see that That was
3: a right oh, You're like show. You're like This is
2: <laughs> um, Are you going to Military coup this Rocky road <laughs> okay. Just, like, yeah, Other you know. forces need to Step in now no. <laughs> You know <laughs> <laughs> Sorry Sorry
1: You're really putting me Off my so, Sorry. i Really sorry. interesting things Really important things Part, Sorry um, No, what what I wanted to say was um, obviously sometimes people, um, you know, when they feel like they're not being listened to. Similarly to when you're trying to bite into Rocky Road, (laughs) uh, not listening to me when I'm talking. Um, I'm going to
2: eat this like a Victorian. Just have like a curtain up. (laughs) That's somehow worse.
1: (laughs) It's it's making it distract more. Um, There's there's been a long history uh, in humanity in general of let's just say, uh, bad people getting into power, mm-hmm. um, that obviously people have... The society has reached a point where they feel like they've got nowhere else to turn. Yeah. And, 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 and like Kira said, before she started eating the Rocky Road, um, you know, the, the, the bad kind of rises to the top mm-hmm. of, uh, of the situation. And, and, you know, we saw it with Adolf Hitler for example, mm-hmm. where people kind of saw him as obviously someone who they thought would make a difference mm-hmm. uh, to the situation they were in. Turned out, Not he was gone. an absolute <laughs> dickhead.
0: Um, plot, twist.
1: <laughs> plot twist. Spoiler alert. Um, and, and it's something that we're seeing now, again, sort of, in 2019, um, mentioning no names, there are certain countries Boris that- Johnson. <laughs> You well, said mentioning no names, Kira. Right. Well,
2: um, Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <okay.
1: laughs> obviously, obviously, our current Prime Minister is uh, at the time of recording. At the time of recording, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we are in. Uh, uh, um, but obviously, Donald Trump as well is uh, the sort of figure that I think the vast majority of people think oh my God, like, how did he manage to get into power? But he's obviously managed to tap into this kind of f- these fears and these insecurities of, of American people. You know, in in kind of the middle states, I think is kind of where he's predominantly oh, yeah. uh, very very uh, popular. And um, and yeah, uh, yeah, it, it, it's 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 completely ridiculous that someone like that is the the leader of literally one of the biggest countries mm-hmm. in the world. It's crazy to me but this is not a political podcast so I know no,
3: you're right it's the power thing isn't it yeah. it's, the, it's the fact that because I, I, I know we're in, in, in Akira right so there's obviously there was the atomic bomb and you've now got Neo-Tokyo you don't really know how it's ended up being so bad but it is just really bad that's kind of where you're dropped into the story aren't you yeah. Neo-Tokyo is not great there's lots of like terrorist attacks by rebel groups yeah Um. there's obviously bike gangs running rife because they feel like they have to
1: take things into their own hands like you said yeah um which again is really reminiscent to to things that are happening now you know with terrorist incidents there was Mm. there was one literally yesterday in london Mm uh with a guy who was you know randomly like attacking people Mm -hmm. uh in london um i mean obviously bike gangs not really but you know gang culture is, is a really big problem mm-hmm. you know especially in inner cities but these kids obviously they they feel like they can't relate mm-hmm. they feel like the government's not listening mm-hmm. they feel like other people aren't listening um, and the own, I mean obviously I'm not in with the gangs so I don't know I'm just speculating how I think they think but it seems to me like these are generally kind of disadvantaged kids like Canada and Tetsuo mm-hmm. um who
2: really genuinely feel like what 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 has the world got to offer them
3: mm-hmm.
2: um it yeah. reminds me a little bit again this is a little bit tangenty um there was a hairdresser in scotland i was talking to and her dad works for electoral roll services and so his job is to go around and encourage people to vote and the snp mm. is massive in scotland as anyone in britain listening to this podcast will know and he, I remember her saying is in particularly deprived areas where the schools don't have a lot of funding or schools aren't doing well <laughs> or, you know, big council estates where the people are really desperately poor is they feel like the government does not give a shit about them and yeah. that's why they end up voting for people like the SNP. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I I actually quite like the SNP. I like Nicola Sturgeon. Um, but uh, because the SNP is a Scottish nationalist, nationalist party, they're separate to Westminster, so they're going, well they at least care about Scotland mm. and us. Westminster does not care about us. But There's people in London, in similarly deprived areas, feel like, well, the government does not give a shit about us. Mm. So you will inevitably turn to a group of people who you feel represents you. I yeah. guess in
3: that, in that story, fortunately, mm. people who feel like that who are in Scotland have someone in a relatively powerful position that mm. they can vote for, but yeah. in the world of Neo-Tokyo, yeah. they didn't have exactly.
1: that. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Mm. But, and then they... The, the the cult that's specifically mentioned, and I know that the the cult is goes into a bit more detail, kind of in the manga, I think, about mm. the characters who are kind of in this cult who worship oh, okay. Akira as a god. Mm. Mm. Um, but I think they obviously see uh, Akira this this kind of myth as um, as basically like the, a bit like the second coming of Jesus yeah. for yeah. them, the reckoning yeah. type. Yeah. That like this is the this is the uh, being that will save us all mm. kind of thing. Um, and not knowing that you know this is the being that caused mm-hmm. the, the you know the post-apocalyptic world that they live in mm-hmm. uh, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the I mentioned in my notes there's um, there's a particular speech I think we touched on it uh, in the jail cell with um, mm. uh, Canada and Kay where she basically talks about um, amoeba mm. and yes. about and I think that's a really uh, clever way to. Uh, sort of show the power that, that Tetsuo and, and by extension Akira and all of the other yeah. test subjects kind of have access to mm-hmm. because it basically says, you know, if you're an amoeba mm-hmm. and you know you live your life as an amoeba, I, I don't know the quote well, off by mm-hmm. heart, I'm just kind of paraphrasing here, but and then you get the powers of like a human being, mm-hmm. then what does that do yeah. to mm-hmm. you? Yeah, and 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 obviously. The way I look at it, it's the easiest way to kind of understand the corruption of power mm-hmm. that can occur yeah. when you kind of go from, like, mere mortal being mm-hmm. to a being on a, a, a higher level, you know, a higher level of existence. Um,
3: I've always had a theory about that as well, where I feel like it is... is that's quite so interesting you brought that up because I think we are talking about it as well a little while ago. I have a theory where it's like, yeah, what happens to someone who's been close to dirt is suddenly given... A tr- the step ladder to get up to the top and be powerful what does that do to that person how do they deal with the power so it's really interesting that they talked about that people mm. have that quote sorry just thought
1: i chip no, in no that. that's fine you can chip in whatever you like that's why you're
2: here <laughs> I think it's you're right though I think you definitely do get people it's like um, I, get, I think this was someone talking about earlier is like with class like you get either like say you come up from a Working class family, and you grow up with not much money, and you suddenly have money. Mm. Either you go, I'm gonna help people who are like me, I'm or gonna pay my taxes, yeah, <laughs> like, or I'm gonna like pay my taxes, I'm gonna help do project, projects to help other people, or you become those people who live in Essex who <laughs> just like, No, this is mine now, I'm yeah. gonna vote Tory, I'm not gonna pay tax, I'm gonna, you know. Well, it's
3: just like coming from a post colonial country, and when you look across the continent, like africa where a lot of them are post-colonial and pretty much i would confidently say like 90 probably all of them to be honest are all corrupt mm. and you wonder if it's because of like you said you've been the scum of the earth and suddenly you're able to be a president mm. of that mm. country and what does that do to you, you hold on to that power you hold on to your money you hold on to like not yeah. wanting to share it with people which is like what you mentioned with that amoeba quote which i found. Yeah. That.
1: Which I found really interesting. Yeah, because that was. um, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, Uh, Robert Mugabe. Yeah. Because I think he's kind of the prime example, isn't he, of of, um, a guy who probably pretty much started out with nothing Mm -hmm. and then essentially kind of became this incredibly wealthy man and literally all of his subjects had nothing Mm -hmm. and he had everything. Yeah. Um, I think he's dead now, isn't he? Yeah, he
3: died. Yeah. And that nobody went to his funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Oh! On their growl, <laughs> yes. Yeah. The <sass> <laughs> right now. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, but no, that's really interesting. I actually didn't pick up on that. I I heard the, obviously the speech and I registered that, but I didn't register it until now. Mm. You brought it up again. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like,
1: oh my god, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, verbal <laughs> dioramas.
3: Oh my oh gosh, god. <laughs> like opening up my mind. Uh, <laughs>
1: Bear in mind, uh, listeners. Before this, before we start recording, we were literally just like talking in American to each
2: other. Like, oh my constantly. gosh! Oh Look my heart, back. Yeah, yeah. Just um, quoting "baby got back." Yeah, we. It's, w- it's now "baby got back" crossed with you. "you have nothing to lose but your shackles," comrade. <laughs> Brilliant.
1: Uh, oh, and the only other thing that I, I kind of wanted to talk about was. Obviously, when we're talking about the test subjects, so uh, it's... Well, when we're talking about Tetsuo, and then you have Kyoko, Masaru, and Takashi, Mm -hmm. and each of them, they obviously have their individual powers. They kind of can bring their powers together, Mm -hmm. create hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Um, But essentially, these children are test subjects, and they are controlled sort of by these scientists and by extension, this government. um, And... And essentially, they're being kept locked up, they're being kept under control, they're being fed drugs. These, these kids are not free to do anything. They are... Um, they're captives, yeah. basically. Um, they're constantly being experimented on. And um, But when you see, obviously, what happens to Tetsuo, obviously, when he actually ends up escaping, mm-hmm. um, and what, as his powers kind of continually manifest... Um, it gives you a really good indication and idea of, of why the the government and by extension the scientists were, were actually trying so hard to kind of keep them in control because they created these beings obviously over time um, and they couldn't control Akira um, mm-hmm. and Akira ended up blowing up Tokyo so they've created these these beings um, by way of experimentation um, and and now they have to kind of keep them, but they're like constantly just pumping them full of drugs and just trying to control them. Um, and essentially, you know, these are children. You know, this is this these these are young children who are who have been captured. I mean, we we're assuming they have no family. We're assuming they're orphans, like yeah, Texo. Totally but we never kind of find out much about mm-hmm. them. Um, but I think it's really sad that these kids. Uh, they don't have a life, you know. They're literally prisoners, um, and I just think it's really sad. I just wanted to mention that. No, I think it's no, really sad that these poor children are. Then they're never going to be free. I
3: also it's, wonder if oh. they if they want to leave as well, because mm. I don't know if they because they saw a and they saw what happened. Like, where's where that standpoint? They, 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 they. Maybe they they feel like they've got this massive responsibility where they might want to leave, but they can't. They know if they do leave and stop taking their
2: medications, this could happen again. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know what their their viewpoint on that is. I feel like it's they're they're kind of like a product of again that thing of the government sees anyone that isn't the government as disposable. I guess these kids. It's kind of like it just reinforces that kind of ruthlessness of they're small kids, but it doesn't matter. They're still just test subjects. Yeah, they're, like, they're just
1: commodities, aren't they? They're yeah, just. Yeah. yeah. they and I think that kind of by extension just is this kind of divide between sort of the government and the general population mm-hmm. of Neo-Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Is like we've said, the population is expendable. Like, they mm. will beat someone up, they will shoot someone who mm-hmm. gets in their way, you know. They they literally don't care about the, the human population of yeah. Neo-Tokyo um, because they're at their level, because they are the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and to be fair, that, you know, when the government... They don't, they don't even care that much about the scientists, you know, mm. the actual people who are looking after yeah, these yeah, children, definitely. like... They, they still kind of see them as, like, lesser mm-hmm. beings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like, you know, the, the, the government uh, are talking to... They're not, like... They're not conversing with other human beings. They kind of feel like they're so above everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, it, it just kind of um, speaks to modern society, really, and that governments are so out of touch with everyday people because, you know, especially in the UK... Um, Several years ago, there was quite a lot of uh, talk about uh, politicians who had like second homes, and right, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know a lot of like taxpayers' money was being mm-hmm. used to fund uh, their extravagant, duck houses. exactly duck houses. <laughs> yeah. Very famously, duck houses. Yeah. Their extravagant lifestyles, and then you know you've got people nowadays who are relying on food banks. Yeah. To feed their live children. below the poverty line, technically, in poverty. Exactly. You know, children are growing up in poverty, but it's okay for politicians because their children are fine, you can know? I,
2: can I uh, put in a galling fact? Yeah, I believe there are more food banks than there are McDonald's in the UK. What? That's mad, isn't it? That's really? crazy. But yeah.
1: there are, like... Hundreds of
3: McDonald's. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's oh let
2: me just let me just fact check that. Okay. Make sure was... you
3: don't go and fact check the Twitter account. Don't no, because uh, yeah, that
1: yeah. that's not fact check. That's,
3: uh, <laughs> don't go on the Twitter account to fact check it <laughs> <laughs>
1: What? I said don't trust the Twitter
3: account. the fact checker. Is it not good? No, conservative thing. The, the the oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Kira, it's wasted on you. <laughs> Shame, Kira. Shame. Shame. <laughs> I
3: don't know what's happened. As, As Kira virtually... checks that fact, let's tell you about the wonderful place that we're recording it. it's <laughs> Saps in. It's called Sam's in Peachborough. They have an upstairs, the bar, a downstairs where you can rent it out for music, or if you want to do a podcast like us, it's a wonderful place. So make sure you check out Sam's <laughs> at Peachborough. Oh my
1: God, that was that was literally not rehearsed at all.
3: Like yeah, she just, that
2: was,
1: that she was was just p- did it. That was amazing. Bars. <laughs> (laughs) Oh my god, girl, you're amazing. I think it's so
3: much. Oh
2: my gosh. Look at her bars.
1: (laughs) Oh my god. Brilliant. Do you want me to look it up? No, I'm doing it. Being uh, an absolute child. The the internet here is uh, is not, I mean it's great, thank you Sam's Peterborough for your excellent hospitality, (laughs) but the the internet is not fantastic, so uh, we're actually stealing Greg's (laughs) Greg's internet (laughs) next door, Um, because theirs is a bit more reliable. Oh yay Greg!
2: So, I believe the McDonald's one was on Twitter, so I am not digging through Twitter to find that one, but it is true. Town that has more food banks than supermarkets, and the... Um, more, food- more food banks in the UK than McDonald's. Yep. Oh, my God.
1: So, so, that is the state of society today. Mm, yeah. Um, and that's why you need a government that is... that can understand the plight of the real world situation that we're living in mm-hmm. um, because yeah that's great um, anyway I didn't intend for this to be uh, the politics <laughs> episode of the podcast but it was inevitable but, but it, the thing is is it is completely relevant <laughs> to yes, the movie exactly. um, it is completely relevant to the situation the movie is in we are mm-hmm. in the same year that Akira uh-huh. is set in And we're experiencing the same issues Mm -hmm. that Neo-Tokyo is Mm -hmm. experiencing. It's just a little bit different, because it's a kind of different country and everything like that. So it's it's not kind of the same. We don't really have an Akira. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully not.
3: Not so many violent attacks,
1: hopefully. Hopefully. Well, I mean, yeah, the the situation is bad. Uh, Hopefully something good will happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, really, I mentioned earlier um, that... This movie has obviously influenced so many other movies, yes. um, and I mean the main movie that kind of comes to my mind, and I don't know if you guys have seen it, is a movie called Chronicle.
3: No, what's Chronicle?
1: So Chronicle, I believe, came out in. I haven't got internet, but I think oh, I it came it. out in 2012 or 2011. Let me check. So Josh mean. Trank, Chronicle, movie. yeah, 2012, 2012. Okay, the movie Chronicle. I believe it was his first feature film. Um, mm-hmm. And it's basically about a group of young men, and they are basically nice. dossing about in the forest. And they basically find uh, like a hole, and they find something in the hole. It's like a power source, mm-hmm. and they basically end up getting powers.
3: I have heard of this.
1: I remember the yeah, trailer yeah. for this film. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a really interesting film. I don't want to obviously spoil it too much. Um, it's got a great performance by Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think it's one of the first mm. films he's in. Oh, I have seen this film. Have you? You said Michael B. Jordan. I was like, oh, I've and seen it. And you were then. like, hell yeah, girl. And we're like,
3: how could I forget <laughs> about Michael B. Jordan? Yeah, I've seen he's it. He's a honey. I, this, I know, right?
1: <laughs> I have seen this film then. Yeah, yeah and, and obviously it's all about how these three young men cope with the powers that they have and about one of the young men specifically. Um, he struggles with with the amount of power that he has and it it ends up corrupting him Mm -hmm. and it's a very similar theme to Akira Um, it's obviously not exactly the same it's just a similar theme Um, but it's obviously more of a superhero kind of Mm lead um other movies that have been inspired by kind of the look and feel. You've got movies like Inception, yes. uh, The Matrix, which mm-hmm. I've covered on this podcast, by
2: the way. The um,
1: <laughs> and, and obviously we've spoken about other animes, uh, like Ghosts in the Shell, yeah. um, Cowboy also Bebop. Cowboy Bebop, um, Battle Angel Alita, uh, which was obviously made into a movie earlier on this year um, called Alita Battle Angel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also kind of video games as well. Mm-hmm. When we're talking mm-hmm. about... Um, Sort of old style. I grew up with like the old PlayStation mm-hmm. um, and everything like that. And Metal Gear Solid was like yeah. a big game of the time. Um, Half Life and and they they kind of got very similar kind of looks and feels. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess kind of when we're talking about the influence of this of this movie specifically, mm-hmm. I mean it influenced so many uh, other movies. But when we're talking about uh, anime specifically, I kind of think that people. People tend to kind of go to Akira. It's kind of the go-to recommendation. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you uh, if you're interested in this kind of style of movie, just watch Akira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why do you think that a movie like Akira is kind of more prevalent than a movie like Ghost in the Shell, for mm-hmm. example? Like, do you think it's because of the themes of the movie, or the look of the movie, or because I kind of feel like if someone said to me, oh, w- what anime would you recommend? Mm-hmm. I'd probably kind of go for Akira sort of over something mm-hmm. else. Um, and Ghost in the Shell is obviously an an influence um, more of an influence to the Matrix Mm -hmm. actually um, Mm -hmm. than this is but do you think there's a particular reason why Akira is just like the go-to movie like for anime in general I would say
3: um, I think because Ghost in the Shell is uh, not a little bit more odd but it's it's because you're you're the main main lead she's like a side yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. She's not human, so maybe that removes the relatability. And I felt like I think with Ghost, uh, Ghost in the Shell as well, I feel like it's very, um, it's re it's more obscure. Mm. It's more, it's more like just not weird, but it's yeah, just more obscure. So I guess I, I guess maybe people think to recommend Akira because the story's really like. It's, it's not as obscure it might be easier for someone to dive into yeah I don't know I, I don't know if it's just as simple as that I do love I love the visuals in Ghost in the Shell yeah, as well I think it's, it, it's it's a really be, I think, yeah, yeah beautiful to look at I, feel like, I
2: don't know I feel like the themes in Akira are a bit more universal maybe yeah. like um, also maybe less problematic imagery Ghost in the Shell like her waps are out constantly <laughs> literally like I remember the first time I watched it I was like is this going to get tiring because I was like I'm not She's into a, that yeah. so I'm just like
3: I mean I, I was not bothered by it because I was like she's a cyborg and like she needs it to use her powers so I'm like okay I can get that it you was gratuitous bit-
2: though it was like hot woman, sexy tits cyborgs, interesting, tits <laughs> it seemed a bit like it did. I felt like there was a male gaze on that like um, yeah. I felt like really? which it, yeah, I felt that dated badly I felt that I was like oh god and I remember the person I was watching with at the time said yeah okay it's a bit a bit wapsy. Like, just... It's... The tits are a bit eye-roll worthy, but... Uh, but maybe you've seen as
3: an adult. I haven't seen Ghost in the Shell in a while as an adult. It so. struck
2: me as being aged badly with that. Just the male gaze side of it. Apart from that, though, Ghost in the Shell, I was recommended first. Mm-hmm. They were like, Ghost in the Shell you'll really like, and I did really like it. Yeah. Like...
1: I mean, I think, like I said earlier, when you're talking about anime in general, uh, any anime recommendation is a good yeah. anime recommendation so i mean obviously if you listen to this and you've not seen akira then epic fail yeah. <laughs> you should go and watch it because it's really really good um but also similarly i mentioned ghost in the shell quite a lot in the matrix episode because there's a lot of similar imagery and themes mm. uh, in both ghost in the shell and the matrix and i know i recommended ghost in the shell uh, back in that episode um so i'm going to recommend it again uh, just because it's really damn good I mean you know I I feel like like it's if you do enjoy I mean and who doesn't enjoy The Matrix I mean come on it's Mm. it's fantastic (laughs) but if, if if you do kind of like that kind of questions of existence and, and, who, and who you are and what makes you you and, and all of that sort of stuff, then I think Ghost in the Shell is fantastic. I feel like we're, we are running out of time a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, the soundtrack to this movie uh, is kind of a mix of sort of traditional, I love uh, traditional music and sort of a very kind of 80s synth, mm-hmm. um, which... You would think actually you would think dates the movie but it actually it doesn't, doesn't like, because
3: it
2: somehow does I really it's like so the it's really coral futuristic stuff. Yeah. yeah
3: I really love the coral stuff because yeah. they did a lot of like they got a lot of um, when I was listening watching it I really noticed like how they used kind of coral kind of grunts and like
0: yeah it yeah. was
3: very like
1: almost, like, not tribal, but very, like, yeah. really, like, ancient. Mm-hmm. It does do feel like, like, tribal. Yeah. But did you notice as well, like, the names of the characters are in the chants. Oh, oh no, yeah. I didn't know that. So, I was listening really carefully to the music, and I can't remember exactly where, but there's one piece of music where they're obviously doing these mm. kind of uh, very kind of tribal chant, and in the middle of it they're going like Tetsuo ah. Canada. It's really good. It's really good.
3: Yeah, it's really really
1: good, and it's really like oh my god, like you know they're talking about the characters yeah. in the movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, and it's it's phenomenal because it's it's very kind of eighties synth, but it feels very kind of. Futuristic, like it feels
2: like Blade Runner's like that too. Yeah, like the the weird synth, how would you call it? Almost like a clarinet, not a clarinet though, but that weird, almost woodwit wind instrument synth sound they use in Blade Runner. Mm. It sounds old but simultaneously futuristic. It's weird, it
3: it is weird. Some, yeah, some good sound. I really, I really noticed the sound and, Mm. and like the music. I mean, in particular, I really noticed it whenever it was on, it really was like just. I don't know. It really added to the scene. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I had goosebumps sometimes just because the
1: music was just rising so much with what was happening, and I was like, "Fuck!" Because especially when it's kind of going to that climactic battle Mm. at the end, and the music is just kind of rising with it, and it it genuinely does kind of. And that, and I know I kind of talked uh, on this podcast before about the power of like music Mm -hmm. and how music is used in in film to kind of bring you really into that sort of scene. You know, whether it be emotional or. You know, or, or just like an action scene or something like that yeah, yeah. And, and how music can really be, bring you in and I think Akira was a great example mm-hmm. of how they use the music they use kind of this very traditional music mm-hmm. along with this very kind of futuristic music and you would think it wouldn't work but it really does it really does, yeah. Um, so yeah the soundtrack is really great mm-hmm. um, and I think really the final thing that I wanted to talk about was um, for a long long time they have talked about uh, a live action remake um, it's been talked about, I think, for the longest possible time yeah. that a remake has ever been talked about. Um, and I'm going to get my obligatory Keanu reference in because Mr. Keanu Reeves was mooted um, for this uh, remake, this live-action remake mm-hmm. of Akira, um, sort of all the way back. I mean, we're talking years. He was, uh, he was apparently up to play Canada. Uh, okay. Obviously, he's since passed on that because the project just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And now we're talking uh, about a proposed uh, live-action movie to be directed by Taika Waititi, who's obviously uh, a very brilliant director, mm-hmm. very funny man. He mm-hmm. did Hunt for the Wilderpeople, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful, wonderful movie, Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. and I think most recently Jojo jo Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah. Um, and I think he, he sort of signed on to do this remake, and... Um, And I think it's now been postponed because he's now going back to do the next Thor movie for Love and Thunder. Um, (laughs) Which sounds like an album.
2: It does. (laughs) I mean, to be
1: fair, I'm not not being funny if it's anything like Ragnarok. You know it's going to be absolutely incredible. And you know it's going to have the most incredible soundtrack. Um, I am really stoked for Love and Thunder. Uh, But yeah, it it does sound like an awesome... Like an 80s... 80s rock album. It's just incredible. Um, But, I mean... When we're talking about live-action remakes just generally, uh, and, and animation, animation is, is so wonderful because you can animate anything. Mm-hmm. And that's the wonderful thing about animation is you want a guy to fly up in the sky, uh, you can animate it. You know, mm-hmm. you want a guy who can rebuild his arm, you know, mm-hmm. from metal and wire, and you can animate that. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can't animate. Yeah. So with this movie specifically... Um, how do you guys feel about a live-action remake? Are, is it something you're excited about? Is it something you're apprehensive about? Is it something that if Keanu Reeves was in it, you'd be like, hell yeah, get me that ticket. Um, I mean, I, it, it goes without saying, I think, that Taika Waititi is very keen to make it set in Japan he's very keen to hire Japanese actors oh that's because post
2: Ghost in the Shell exactly yeah. you
1: know the whitewashing gate. <laughs> gate of Ghost in the yeah. Shell was such a, a critical disaster yeah. and a commercial disaster and a disaster just generally um, so I think it's really great that Taika Waititi uh, is very keen to sort of keep it very uh, in keeping with oh. the current story but yeah I guess how would you guys feel would it be something that you'd be interested in to go and see
2: if they can make it look like Blade Runner, if they because Blade Runner, I think is aesthetically stunning. So, you know, if they take from like other, sci- you know, dystopian sci-fi films, I would be here for it. It's I. Like, it would be easy to be purist, and there'd be part of me that would go, "It won't be as beautiful uh, as an, an- hand animated version, but it might be beautiful for different reasons if it's done well."
3: Um, my disclaimer, I have so much respect for anyone who does visual effects I think that's a real it's a real art form it's a real skill it's incredible mm-hmm. what you can do with visual effects now. I think the last 50 years how they've changed I'm mm-hmm. um, i I'm, I'm always sceptical about live action versions of animated films and I don't know if it's because of the purest nature in me like you mentioned here where it's like I have such a love for animation yeah. that maybe biases me like massively but I don't know if I've seen an incredible live-action version of an animated film yet, mm. and I would like to be proved wrong. So if the, if Akira two thousand and whatever year it comes out is the one that changes it for me, I'll be. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm always apprehensive about it. I wouldn't say I'm excited, but I'll always be like. I really hope you do it well. That's yeah. kind of, like, all, all, I, all I really want. Because, I mean, Ghost in the Shell, the live-action one, regardless of the whole fiasco of whitewashing it, where I was like, really, you should have um characters who fit that demographic better, was
1: visually really beautiful. I really liked it. It, it did have a very it, kind of unique visual style. I think there was there was some things to like about it. Yeah. But I kind of felt like the whole whitewashing thing yeah. detracted from it very much yeah. um, because I kind of feel like the arguments that they gave for having Scarlett Johansson in the role it, it didn't make any sense no, it was and then, stupid
3: it, it then, didn't have arguments exactly
1: and then spoilers for the live action Ghost in the Shell um, and then um, towards the end when she finds out that she was actually um, an Asian woman uh-huh. you know so it was like yeah. they, they you find out mm. that she's got this body of Scarlett Johansson but she was actually an Asian woman yeah. and I kind of feel like well that kind of makes it a bit worse because you're yeah. trying to say she used to be an Asian woman yeah. but now she's, she's just Scarlett Johansson <laughs> yeah, yeah. So
3: you're implying as, that's... If,
1: as if it's like better yeah you know um, and I kind of feel like that was a yeah. big mistake so yeah if
3: yeah. If I, if I took out all that controversy with it and I was to look at it just to be like okay this is an adaptation of a film regardless of their casting decisions mm-hmm. <laughs> um it, it did. Ha- when I watched it, I was like, "Wow!" This some of the stuff was like really reminded me of the feelings I got when I watched the anime. Mm. So I was like, "I know you can get there. You can get- replicate some of these moments that we've talked about when we watch the anime." So I would never say I'm really excited about it, but I'd always be like, "I really hope you do it well because it deserves I- yeah, it. it. Deser- yeah, yeah, it needs to be done well. It yeah. needs to be done right. So I'll be interested to see how it comes out."
1: Yeah, I think... I, I definitely think that... Well, I, I, I guess like you, I always feel a bit apprehensive because because animation... Because I love animation so much and I just feel like it's the in thing to kind of take your animation and make it live action. And that's obviously something that Disney are doing a lot of at the moment mm. to kind of varying degrees of greatness. Um, you know, I kind of feel like a lot of it is a bit more of a cash grab than a, oh, we've got a really good story to tell, let's tell it in live action. Um... Mm. So I'm very hopeful that something like Akira, which is so relatable and uh, and so and such an interesting topic to kind of talk about, even even when it comes out in like four or whatever yeah. years' time, um, I think it will still be an interesting thing to have as a live action. Um, I I think nothing will ever compare to this and what this is and how beautiful it looks and how and just how much kind of went into it. You know yeah. there's, there's and but I think that's the problem is when you have something that's so great you a live action's never going to make it any better. You're always yeah. going to have this kind of impossibly high standard of of animation and storytelling. And and I do kind of wonder that yes it, it's a good idea to to kind of have this this excellent director come in and to say yeah we're going to make sure that our cast is, is, you know, reflective of Japanese society, and you know we're going to make it as great as we possibly can. But I kind of feel like it's a bit of an impossible task. Mm. Um, but I mean, if Keanu Reeves was in it, I'd be like, <laughs> give me that ticket right now. Um, I was just going to say, I wonder if it'd be curious to get the
3: opinion of someone once this Akira live action one does come out, who's watched the live action first then watch the animation because I think I'm biased I watch the animation first. I'm always going to there's going to be a level of nostalgia there's going to be like Mm. yeah your first experience was this form so it'll be interesting in a few years time
1: but I think it is good though because I think that in a way of you know younger people um, introducing them to this movie you know it's coming out it's got a very well known director who a lot of people respect a hell of Mm. a lot and I think it's going to come out... It'll probably do really good business and it will it will kind of introduce younger people to to this story. And I suppose that's a good thing because then they'll go back to the uh, the anime and perhaps the original manga and really kind of respect the source material a little bit. So I think from that point of view, it probably is a good thing um, to kind of have that refresh of the, the themes and the topics that this movie talks about. Um, I mean... I guess it's one of those, we'll just have to wait and see uh, yeah. sort of what they do. Um, I mean, it, it, go, it kind of goes without saying that Akira is one of the most successful anime movies uh, ever. Um, it was essentially made for the equivalent of $9 million and it made $49 million. Um, that obviously, that is just like the cinematic release. It doesn't take into account things like you know DVDs and Blu-rays and stuff like that. Um, I mean, it, it was a phenomenal success, and it kind of paved the way for other anime movies that came after it, um, and and generally kind of the West's love of of anime. Uh, and I mean, anime it's, it's all encompassing. There's movies about anything and everything. Um, there's TV shows about anything. Anything and everything is kind of covered by anime. It's not just science fiction. There's all sorts of things. Um, so, and I think you can even get like dedicated. Internet TV channels. I think Crunchyroll is one that does yeah, quite yes. a lot of anime yeah. and stuff. Um, so there's all sorts of stuff out there. So um, it's very difficult to kind of recommend. Oh, you should go and watch this. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ak- Akira is so wonderful, and it's 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 given us so much. It's given us so much joy to kind of talk about this movie, but also kind of going on from the legacy of this movie and what this movie has given us all. You know, especially kind of here in the West where otherwise I don't think we'd, you know, it would only be a, a small kind of subsection of people who would kind of have mm. access or know about, you know, maybe people who visited Japan would kind mm. of know. Um, but the fact that this movie came out was so big and and so brilliant, you know, it, it, it really has kind of opened up a whole new world of, of absolute wonder. And it, go, it kind of goes without saying that I think anime is the only hand-drawn animation that's kind of still really being done. Um, hand-drawn animation is, is pretty dead now. Um, it's only really in Japan, I think, that they're, they're still keen on. They do still do CGI and stuff like that a lot, but the hand-drawn stuff um, is really predominantly Japan that's kind of leading, still kind of leading the way on that. So um, and it, it truly is a, a really wonderful art form and so expressive as well. Um, now... At this point i normally do social media thoughts um on a movie uh, and i normally go to like twitter facebook instagram whoever's kind of commented however because i'm recording this quite a lot in advance no one knows (laughs) apart (laughs) from us three that we're doing akira so i don't actually have any so i think we've kind of come to the end unless you guys want to say anything else about akira right now I think, I think we covered everything. covered everything. Yeah. 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 Um so um obviously Anita, Kira, thank you so much. The name thank you the for having the, us. the collective Akira <laughs> yeah. the Akira.
2: Akira in person. Akira. Yeah. In person.
1: This is like the only interview What with... we've been Akira this
2: whole time? <laughs> they genuinely
3: have been Akira this whole time yeah. and no one knew. And We really know how to control our powers. We're
2: <laughs> responsible for all the nana children running about in here, Nana children. And at Sam's. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so, obviously, I uh, have to say a massive thank you to Sam's in Peterborough for Yay. letting us have this wonderful kind of basement cellar mm. space. It's a bit yeah. echoey, but it's really cool. Um, and they've let us have it for free yes. as well. Yes, they've been absolutely incredibly wonderful. lovely. And, yes, they've been so accommodating um, and wonderful. So, if you're in Peterborough, go and see Sam's. Go and see Sam's. Yeah. Uh, they, I think they do that like, coffee, cake, drinks, all sorts of yeah. stuff. Got, yeah, I think they've got live music it. in a bit as well. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. they
2: support a lot of comedians as well. Like they have um, a night here run by Harrison Saul, so called Pairface Comedy, and they do they lo- if you're like a local band wanting to put you know a night on, they'll do that here. We have to get out before seven because a band is coming in. Yes. So like yes, they are support support local culture, which is always yeah. a lovely thing. Yes, thank you, Sam. You bangs. thank you, Sam. Uh, right, okay.
1: Thank you, Collective Akira, oh, thank, you, thank
2: you. for coming on
1: Verbal Diorama. It's been such a joy. It's been so wonderful to meet you guys, and to we've had such a wonderful day. Like, oh, it's been lush. It's been so much fun. Like we've laughed so much, and it's been that you guys are the first podcasters that I've ever met in like real life. <gasps> oh my god!
3: I've broken your podcast meeting virginity, and I think you have too.
1: Yes. Have I? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, we were all virgins, and now we not virgins. <laughs> Um, obviously uh, I want to give you guys the opportunity to plug your excellent
2: podcast let everyone know
1: where they can find you on social media and stuff take
3: it away Kira So, on top
2: on Facebook we are just the unexceptionals podcast or the unexceptionals now it uses you can actually search the handle on Facebook as well as just typing in the unexceptionals and the handle is at underscore unexceptionals which is the same handle for Twitter and Instagram mm. um and we will come up immediately. It's a little uh, beautifully illustrated yeah. word, Unexceptionals, by Anita's lovely brother Calvin Yarbey. Oh yes. um, well, nailed it. Sorry. Of course, that's Calvin yes. Yes, Calvin. Nice. <laughs> 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 it's sort of like turquoise, like aquamarine, it's and of like real fantasy. Yeah, it's the full fantasy. <laughs> you'll see it. You'll be like, that's the full fantasy I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs>
3: um,
2: and if you, everyone, is getting in contact with us, we are the Unexceptionals. Podcast at gmail.com. Of course,
3: yeah. If you ever want to say anything, you want to guess on the show, or if you just want to tell us, guys, you need to stop doing this. Yeah,
2: I, I, I listened to uh, Verbal Diorama and I just thought these people need to stop. Uh, <laughs> whatever it is they're doing, <laughs> stop it now.
3: But yeah, no, thank you so much, though, yeah. for uh, um, having us.
1: Been, so, good it's been fun. Fun. It's been amazing, you guys. Yeah. Thank you to everyone mm-hmm. for listening. Uh, next episode, uh, to be honest, I don't know. <laughs> um, I've got a good idea of what it's going to be, but I'll, I'll add it in later. Thanks to everyone for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Woo. <laughs> OK, we're back in 2020. Thanks for that, past me uh, and past Anita and past Kira. Uh, welcome back to 2020. Um, so, basically, we've established time travel is not a myth, it's real, it just happened. It was very uh, haphazard, but it's fine. It's okay. That is live recording. That is what live recording is. Obviously, thank you to Anita and Kira. We really did have the most amazing day together. Um, And look out for me featuring on season two of their podcast, The Unexceptionals. Um, I think they really need someone truly an exceptional and I completely fit the bill. As I mentioned, thank you for listening. Um, As always, I'd love to hear your thoughts on Akira and make sure you subscribe and listen to The Unexceptionals as well. Before I announce the next episode, I want to tell you a little bit about Offscreen Babble, which is hosted by our Patreon producer, Sharday and her husband, Kyle. You probably know by now that they're great, but did you know that they just released an episode on the Golden Globes? And did you know it came out a mere hours after the actual event? And that's what's so amazing about Offscreen Babble because the sheer dedication that Sade and Kyle have, um, I don't know of any other podcast that turns around live event episodes as fast as they do. So you can listen to Offscreen Babble by searching for them in your podcast app, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, and you can find them at offscreenbabble.com or Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Offscreen Babble. So the next episode, obviously our patrons, Sharday, Simon, Hardiel and Claudia already know this um, as they get the upcoming schedule. But for the next episode, we're going to be staying in Japan Um, Except we're going to be going back a few years to feudal Japan um, for the absolutely beautiful stop motion Kubo and the Two Strings, um, which is by the aforementioned Golden Globe winning studio Laika. They just won for Missing Link, but they should have won for Kubo because it's glorious. Um, So Kubo and the Two Strings is the third movie in the animation season. So look out for that in your podcatcher very soon. If you like this episode, I've also done episodes on Titan AE, Captain Marvel, Dread, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow, Pleasantville, The Cabin in the Woods... Speed, Aladdin 1992, 2019, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, X-Men Dark Phoenix, Charlie's Angels 2000, The Mummy 1999, The Matrix, John Carter, Willow, The Iron Giant, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, Logan, Edge of Tomorrow, Legally Blonde, Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 4, Episode 10, Hush, Mystery Men, Passengers, Stardust, Constantine and Arthur Christmas. I think I'm getting faster each time I do that, but... I think I have to get faster because the list is getting so much bigger and they can all be downloaded wherever you get your podcasts from. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Letterboxd at Verbal You can email me general hellos, feedback or suggestions, verbaldiorama@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Website is verbaldiorama.com. And obviously, if you like what I do and you want to leave me a great review, you can do so on iTunes or over on Podchaser and that would be really appreciated. You can sign up to support the show now at patreon.com slash verbal diorama. So tiers are Keanu themed and they start from $2 a month and you get some fad perks, including, as I mentioned, access to the upcoming schedule. You get a shout out on the next episode and Twitter. And it basically goes all the way up to producer level, just like Shade. So I actually do have a new patron. Um, so I have to say thank you to my new patron, And his name is Simon Brew. And you may have remembered that I've mentioned Simon Brew on the podcast before um, because he's been wonderfully supportive over the last few months um he's now a Johnny Utah patron and he is the editor for film stories which is the magazine that i do a little column for um i am incredibly grateful to simon pretty much for everything over the last few months um but obviously also for becoming a patron as well um i was not expecting it so i'm very grateful for that um, obviously I've mentioned Film Stories magazine, I have a column over there, it's an independent British movie magazine, I talk about it every episode, Um, I would love it if you would support that magazine, um, because there are so many wonderful people, not just Simon, who work on that magazine, so many wonderful writers, It's, it's just such a wonderful place, and If you do want to support the magazine, um, you can do so at filmstories.co.uk slash magazine. Um, You can purchase one-off copies. You can subscribe. Um, Obviously, I currently have a column where I talk about independent podcasting and I recommend a great independent movie podcast. Um, And I'm also currently doing bits for Film Stories Online where I recommend great British movie podcasts. So, obviously, keep an eye on Film Stories' site for that. Um, and I guess final thoughts um, on this very special episode of uh, Verbal Diorama uh, on Akira. And that would be open up your eyes and look at the big picture. You're all puppets of corrupt politicians and capitalists. Don't you understand? It's utterly pointless to fight each other. Wise words, Colonel Shikoshima. Thanks, everyone. Bye.